Wrestling Geeks I said, Wrestling Geeks Alliance, are you ready to break it down? Because we have another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance to break down. I am your co-host, of course, Dane Alves. If you're a new listener, this is a wrestling podcast in which me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and provide you with reviews of our past shows and previews of the shows coming up. And we got a big one for you. We have extreme rules from this last weekend. A couple shows to talk about. Not a lot of news items. So there's probably going to be a lot of the events and kind of going over the highlights. But I could not do this show by myself. Joining me as always, Christopher Brother Ray Patton! Hey, Chris, suck it. <laughs> oh, you no, scissor me, daddy ass. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a it's been a crazy week, man. I was uh, in and out of Las Vegas. That was there for God, only two days. So the flight, I'm still a little bit jet lag, jet lagged. Honestly, I know there's a couple day recovery there, but uh, when you're doing such a short turnaround, it it messes with you, right? So. Uh, I caught up on wrestling kind of after the live event, so we didn't get to talk as much offline as we normally do. So this is going to be a fun one where you can get some hot takes on all of the shows for me, because um, outside of, I guess, Dynamite, we haven't really gotten to talk. So I'm looking forward to it. It was a good week. How was your week, buddy? You know, it's still spooky season, so definitely still cramming out those horror movies. And I rewatched a couple classics. Um, I watched The Exorcist for the first time in, well, actually since like last year, honestly, since last Halloween. But this time, unfortunately, I was inspired by the Jeffrey Dahmer monster series in which they kind of went over uh, the reason why he had those yellow contacts because of his two favorite villains, the Emperor and Return of the Jedi, and also uh, the Gemini Killer in Exorcist 3. And... I've heard people talk about Exorcist 3, but I actually went into and, and researched, Chris. Exorcist 3 is an actual sequel to the first one that pretends the second one doesn't exist. It is directed by the writer, this is both the screenplay and the book writer, um, of Exorcist. And his sequel was Legion. And this is basically an adaptation of that. Um because he didn't write the second one, hated the second one. You know, Linda Blair was supposed to be done with that one, and now the story moves on. And for having one credit beforehand, I have to say, if anyone wants to watch it, it's a really good fucking film. Um, it's got an older star. I forgot what his gentleman's name is. I can probably look it up in a second. Uh, but it's kind of like Sons of the Lambs or, or Seven, uh, like a crime drama with a serial killer meets the exorcist so definitely a hidden gem and you don't have to watch the shitty second one again to be able to know what the fuck happens it's great 
so I'm not going to lie. I, I didn't even realize that there was a third exorcist until they did the Dahmer thing. And he was like, I'm going to make you watch this movie, which is now became a meme, which is pretty, which is pretty funny. Um, I, Karen and I tried to watch this. I hated it, dude. Too slow for me. Um, really? Really did not, did not like it, but we did try to watch it because it was, it's talked about so much in that uh, one scene. And Dahmer, and I was like, well, what the fuck is an Exorcist 3? Because I only know of the first two. Honestly, I, I just didn't even realize a third one existed. Because, like, why? Like, it's the same thing with the second one. Like, why really <laughs> does this exist in this universe? I, I thought the the first one uh, kind of nailed it home. It's one of those, like, why would you do it? It is a very slow co- uh, crime drama, and I was watching it with uh my wife so watching it with maybe i need to sit down and watch it again maybe there's something i wasn't i did i didn't get i did kind of watch it late at night and it, it like you said it's like a slow more of a like a thriller type thing than like a horror film i guess uh so maybe i need to give it another rewatch but like 30 minutes into this thing dude i was like i can't i can't, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> um so it's a hot take on exorcist 3 but maybe i should rewatch it i guess i don't know it, it, that could just be a me thing and and how tired i was hey man i mean whatever floats your boat so i mean it is a slow it's kind of like very similar to uh manhunter in that it's an 80s move well 1990 but he even tried to direct it and pace it like a 70s film and especially like a 70s crime film which are very slow burns but like i said i forgot the actor that's the main cop the 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 character that plays the Gemini killer, which is Brad Dorif, uh, the voice of Chucky, and uh, he was in um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, obviously, from before that, is in, it's probably one of the best performances I've ever seen him give. Now, granted, I've only heard his voice as a character and seen him in one other movie, like I just said, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but he's a fucking maniac. Scary with some of the stuff they do, but... You know, it's not going to be for everyone, but I actually really enjoyed it as basically a guy that wrote two books. They adapted one of them. It was a huge success. William freaking drops it. What doesn't want to do the second one? The studio does. He doesn't want to do it. He thinks they fucked it up. And then later on directs his own fucking film um, to say, fuck you, like. And apparently he wanted to call it Exorcist Legion, and they made him do the three, which just kind of goes around what they were trying to do, you know, pretend the second one didn't exist. But um, so, so do you know if there's anything else behind that? Because I have seen that movie like labeled as Legion in the past. I, that's just, that. that's the, the book. OK, OK. So, yep. yeah, I guess it was just the book, but um I think you gave like the perfect synopsis of what that is, though. It is very much one of those slow building 70s like cop dramas almost with a mm-hmm. spec put on it. So it'd be like if you watched Bullet with Steve McQueen. Yeah. And then there's a horror element to the end of it. instead of a car chase or play Misty <laughs> on me with um with Clint Eastwood, which is a very slow crime drama with a murder in it that I was think, I think they either recorded that in the late seventies, early eighties, but same feel to it, if you will. Right. And, and like I said, some of this could just be on me because it, 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 when you have that kind of movie, you kind of have to be in the mood to watch it. Right. So starting it late at night is maybe not the best thing no. to do. Um, so I'm going to go back and get, I'll give it another watch this week and give a different review of it, but from the, from, from, 
watching it the last time, I was like, man, I am just absolutely bored out of my mind. Um, I do think there's some great acting there, specifically the, uh, I almost said the rabbi, that'd been wild. Uh, the, the priest is, is pretty good. Even at the beginning of the film, I think he's, he's really great. And you get some great interactions with him and the, uh, police detective, like where they're sitting in the cafe and having a conversation. Like there's a couple of great scenes at the very beginning of the movie. And I was like, I could get into this, but I was, I think it's just one of those where you, you're going to have to be in a, a, a mood to watch it kind of thing. Like definitely do not put this on at like 1 a.m. right before you're about to go to bed kind of movie. Yeah, that that prop that might have something to do with it, man. And I've done that to myself too. It's like I'll even realize when I'm watching something like this is too in depth. I can't do this right now. I'm gonna put on something a little bit more just something I can fucking fall asleep to. But George C. Scott is the main actor in it. He plays the cop. Uh and he's known for Doctor Strange Love and Patton. And uh, the Christmas Carol that was made in the 80s. He played Scrooge. So, great actor. Good stuff. Uh, also watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the millionth time. And I'm still convinced that the 70s are probably the best era to me of horror movies. Or one of, at least. Definitely the most it, influential, I would say, Chris. It's it's such a great fucking film. There's there's so much depth to that movie, regardless of how many times I watch it. I find something new to be scared of. Yeah. Uh, each time I watch it, like um, and some of it is like really dumb stuff. Like their car is almost out of gas. They're waiting for their friends and they're just sitting there, right, on the road in the middle of Texas. I don't know if you guys have been to Texas, but in the middle of Texas. <laughs> just yelling and screaming and beeping the horn and and like franklin is like no i want to hold the flashlight because that's how terrified he is just to be regardless like i don't even think they're thinking that something you know they're definitely not thinking that someone got chopped up with a chainsaw at that point but they're like this is a bad situation (laughs) um the guy that plays franklin i think is fucking brilliant in that movie and doesn't get enough love it's like horror vixens which I know he's not a horror vixen, so to speak, but he is very much like a, a lovable, I'm about to get killed character in a horror film. Um, some of the screenshots when they go into the house and you just see random things like the more you watch it back, the more fucked up it is. You see like bird carcasses and stuff like even leading to, you know, the the iconic scene of Leatherface slamming the door shut. Right. Um, everything that's in that shot is like uh, the Ed Gein situation that we saw in the Dahmer movie. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like really, really creepy. Um, uh, you know, him lifting the girl on the meat hook. Oh, uh, it's, I mean, there, it, it's, it's crazy because it's very subtle horror. And, and that's kind of what I love about it is that like, it was considered like one of the goriest films. Like they had to go back and re I, redo it. <laughs> even though but- there's, much bloodshed at all on the yeah that's what i was about to say it's so funny and i understand they couldn't do certain things that they could do nowadays but i think that movie holds up for the fact that the most gore you see is when he is laying it down on franklin and it's looking at leatherface and it's only like a little bit like comes on his arm it's like they didn't really like you don't even have to the fact that they just get in your head so much and mess with you and God, that movie is and, – and, and it has political themes to it. Uh, you know, they're talking about the way that we treat animals uh, and the farming system. They're talking about the class system with kind of like 
rich yuppie kids. Well, I guess they're not yuppies then, but you know what I'm saying. The young kids from wherever going through this crap part of Texas and fucking around. You know, there's a lot of themes. The gas shortage in the 70s. Uh, Toby Hooper is a brilliant director. Uh, the, the film, to me, is flawless. It's one of the best. I don't know. The way they, they do it, like both William Freakin, who did The Exorcist, and Toby Hooper came from a documentary film background. And both of them, especially Hooper with this film specifically, filmed it more basically like a documentary. And it made it way fucking creepier. Yeah, and it's it's so great knowing that it's not a documentary, but they start the film out with like these events are based on a true story. They're based on true stories, <laughs> multiples, right? <laughs> so yeah, they, but not but that. <laughs> but not not that. Um, and I absolutely love the second one as well. I mean, I to me it is, if not my favorite horror film, especially of like the slasher Myers like Jason type vibe. Is definitely up there. It's one that I can rewatch over and over and over again and, and always find something little, like a little. And that's what you want from a movie, especially if you're going to rewatch it. Right. Find something little you didn't see the first time. I, I think it's I think the cinematography is great on it, especially considering what the budget was. Um, there's so many iconic scenes like him in the sunset running around with a chainsaw at the very end of the movie, for instance, like getting that. Uh, what, what did the cinematographers call that shot? The. uh chainsaw dancing i forgot what you're i know what you're talking about though well the perfect sunset where the light just kind of oh where it's going down like he he has that in the chainsaw weird dance where he's slinging a chainsaw at the back of a truck like there's just so much good stuff in that movie and um the acting is great specifically uh, i can't think of the guy's name and i apologize for this the guy that played the sheriff is absolutely great he starts beating the shit out of her with a broom like right yeah on the way back he's just like don't worry it's gonna be all right she's in a sack on the ground and he's laughing maniacally and hitting her with the fucking broom (laughs) it's gutter hansen as leatherface man jesus christ holy shit it's there's a reason why that guy became a wrestling character in japan because that movie there's a reason why randomly in my dreams when i find out i'm going into a nightmare all of a sudden i hear a chainsaw really Back in the distance in my dreams, and I'll be like, is that a chainsaw? Sometimes I think I just do it to myself. And then, swear to God, it's happened a million times, I'm being chased by Leatherface with a chainsaw, and he usually gets right to me and is about to go right through my head before I wake up sweating and just very sad. Him and Jaws, they really have fucked with me. 70s, man. Holy shit. And I mean, a lot of it is like they were so limited on what they were able to show on screen, especially if you look at like a saw right nowadays. Oh, yeah. But but to me, it kind of makes the movie better. Like you can make up in your mind what happened, which can sometimes be scarier than whatever they would put on the screen as far as the kills go. So I have always appreciated that aspect of the movie. Um with Leatherface specifically of like, oh, what happened after he shut the door? You know, like those kind of like what ha- what actually happened to Franklin? Did he cut him all the way down? Because you don't you assume, but it's in your mind, right? Like you don't actually they didn't we didn't get the Greg, Greg Nicotero, Tom Savini, like, oh, he split him all the way in half, like kind of thing. But in your mind, you're like, oh, man, that poor guy. <laughs> Jesus. He told her not to leave the car. (laughs) 
Now, Sally, wait a minute. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite Sally? lines. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I love it when he's just doing the, yeah, you guys are having fun. <laughs> you know, and doing that the whole entire time, all pissed off because they're running around the house, probably Come about to bang. Right. It's going to be a fun trip. <laughs> <laughs> I think I about had as much fun as I can stand. <laughs> it's, yeah, man, it's, it, it, it's, it's a perfect horror movie. It's, it's really great. And like I said, it, it's one that I can definitely go back to and watch over and over and over again. And I watch it every, I have it on VHS, Blu-ray, DVD. It's, it's one of those where like it never gets old to me, um, which nope. is how I judge really good films. Like, you know, Godfather never gets old to me. It can be a little long, but it never gets old to me. Or like, you know, there, there's just certain movies that you have a connection to. And, and this one is one for me. And I think when we did like the uh, top horror movies for Geek Vibes, it was on my top five for sure. And the, the other one is The Shining. The Shining is the same way. Like I watch The Shining. I find something new every time I watch it. It's long. But it still gets to me like the little part of me seeing it as like, a, you know, like a 10 year old for the first time. It still creeps in and scares you. There, there's and there's not even that much, uh, you know, outside of the blood elevator. Uh, there's not even that much gore in that movie either. It's it's just kind of I like psychological horror with that aspect to it. Um, so. I don't know. I, I don't. I would say Midsommar has probably done the closest to any of those films for me personally that I've seen recently, of uh, that that level of suspense building to whatever is about to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's a, a yeah. I mean I, I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a perfect movie, and if anyone has that outside of their top ten horror films, they should go watch it again because. It's really fucking good. Just as a movie, even even if you take the horror category out of it, as a film, and considering the budget, it's just a great fucking movie. Yeah, I'm definitely you, – you named two themes I want because I've been doing a lot of you know films. Like I did Manhunter, Silence of the Lambs, and uh, uh, Hannibal, and I just did those two back-to-back, Exorcist and uh, I'll just call it Legion. Um I want to do a double. I usually try to get the Ari Aster films, uh, Hereditary and Midsommar. I want to knock those out because I think they're both fucking amazing. And uh, what you just you mentioned another film that has a sequel to it that I want to knock out. I don't remember exactly right now. Oh, Jack, I've never seen um, the new uh, Doctor Sleep movie with Ewan McGregor. So I want to watch The Shining for the millionth time and then watch Doctor Sleep like kind of back to back with the. So, so my wife went and saw that, or I can't remember if it was my wife or some of my best friends went to see this and they told like, don't watch it. You're going to hate it. Um, so I've never seen this as well because I was told not to watch it because they knew I was going to get pissed off (laughs) based on the, the story. But like, also I'm a big Stephen King Mark in general. Right. Um, you know, well, he hated the shining, right? He did, but he was also part of this film, and there is, you know, there it's it's obviously based on the follow-up book, but it's kind of hard to come back from where The Shining ends and this movie begins realistically because they kill off Scatman Crothers' character, um, which spoiler alert if you guys have not read The Shining, he does not die. <laughs> 
He wow, actually, I didn't know that. He is the actual hero of the story. It it is very much like the Night of the Living Dead, where you have like a African American that has the big hero moment and saves them. Um as opposed to what they did in the movie, which is, I think it was a big part of why Stephen King did not necessarily like that film because it changes kind of the end of the book, like quite a bit. Uh, so if you haven't read the shining or listened to it on audible, cause readings for prisoners, <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely check it out because it's a very different take. Even if you're a huge shining fan, you're like, I fucking love this movie. If you've never read the book, it's worth checking out for sure and it's a completely it's 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 the same story but the ending is so drastically different um that leads into what dr sleep is that all of my friends were like don't watch it you'll hate it uh, <laughs> even though i love the shining like i have no problem with that but they, they kind of knew like yeah but it's been like 30 years you're gonna watch this and <laughs> just get super pissed off uh, so it was one of those for me. So I haven't seen it yet, but I, I did see that it was like on, uh, it was either on Netflix or something. So I'll probably check it out. Um, maybe they overreacted to my reaction to it. Uh, I, I will say that, uh, you know, it, it's also coming off the heels of, cause they did um, the dark tower series all in one film, basically. Oh, God. And then the doctor, you know, Doctor Dr. Strange either came out right before or right after. So he was doing like two of those at the same time. And uh, that Dark Tower movie is fucking terrible. Uh, there is no amount of great acting that could save that movie. It's just it's it's a it's like a it's, it's such a long book series. You can't throw that into one movie. <laughs> Like one movie could be the gunslinger in itself. It's not something that they could do the way that they try to do it, which media failures. So I, I don't know. I guess we will see. Um, I haven't, but no, I have not checked it out. Um, just does the audible do, uh, I, I want to know if the voice, if they're, you know, you're, you're listening to the shining, if it says something on the lines of Wendy, darling, light of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. Does it say that at all? <laughs> it does. Like it goes like there's certain parts of the uh, lines that, you know, are in both in the movie and in, in, yeah, definitely. I don't know if he says bash your brains out. It, it's been a while. I mean, we're talking like quite a bit since I've listened to that, but the voice acting is fucking great on the audible version. Especially if you get, I don't know if there's multiple ones out there, but the original one, there's like one guy that did like kind of all of the audibles for like Misery and Cujo and um, like all of the Stephen King stuff. It's one voice voice, you know, the guy reading the books. He did the books on tape originally. Uh, and I guess they transferred them to Audible and he's fucking great. He he does his best with doing like kind of the character voices, especially the ones that are important. Um, he's he he also does a lot of dark tower stuff. I can't think of his name. It kills me, but yeah, it it's if you got nothing going on at work this spooky season and you just want to really get creeped the fuck out, it's worth the listen. Listen to some Stephen King. I agree with you. That would probably be a good idea. Um, but moving on, let's move into some wrestling stuff and get started uh, talking about. Is there anything specifically, Chris, besides some highlights on the shows, and then obviously we'll go over Extreme Rules, 
that you'd like to talk about, just an open conversation on anything. Like maybe why the fuck does New Japan need a, a, a TV title? That's a that's a that's a question. Oh yeah, that that is a big one, right? Uh, I guess the biggest thing for me, outside of what he watched. Um, I thought Extreme Rules was very, very good, which we'll get into. Um, I thought the the Raw following was very, very good as well. But outside of that, uh, I got a new botched T-shirts from Pro Wrestling Tees. I ordered five. So I am now the proud owner of a Scissor Me Daddy ass shirt. And I highly recommend everyone to pay $5 for their messed up prints. Because they're not that messed up, and it's a good deal. Outside of that, and we're not sponsored by Pro Wrestling Tees, guys. Um, and if if we were, they they wouldn't have us out here slinging the the fucked up ones. But it's a good deal. Uh, outside of that, man, I can't really think of any news really off the top of my head. I mean, I I did you know we we kind of saw a dynamite that they've written on Jade completely out of his storyline. So that contract situation's up in the air. I've heard more about Punk uh, from various podcasters, kind of talking about you know he's not coming back essentially, which we kind of knew he's going to be gone for like six to eight months anyway with his injury. So that kind of falls into that. But like, unless there's some other news article, like article, I just completely missed. That was kind of it news wise. And one of those was a personal news item. So that doesn't even count. Yeah, I don't, there wasn't a lot of news. Uh, there, you know, we had a, I would say a slower week. Um, Tony's still, I guess, trying to throw shots at WWE a little bit. Uh, this last time, he was talking about the highlights of WWE superstars that he has in his possession of uh, of of uh, their their video library with Ring of Honor. And I'm just like Tony, just like stop, just fucking someone just grab the guy, calm him down. He just the shit that he posts, the things he tries to stick up for. By the way, if you guys were wondering, he kind of basically said that they're doing away with the uh, the rating system, or he said he's gonna rework it, um, but. And the whole Ariel Hawani interview that he had that was fucking embarrassing to watch. It's just Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was going to be my question for you because I haven't had a chance. So I was listening to that, which there's an older podcast with Alvarez, which was an MMA podcast where he says the same thing. that The guy is super frustrating to interview in general. Um, I did I did not get to watch this Ariel Hawani rundown what happened on this was it can you give a quick synopsis yeah so tony went on there didn't give any restrictions ahead of time which normally you would tell especially a major interviewer like ariel you know hey don't go over this there's legal stuff i can't really talk about it blah 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 nothing so of course he's going to ask some hard-hitting questions and he asked about you know cm punk i can't talk about that Okay, that's understandable. Uh, you know, the Young Bucks, Kenny, I can't talk about that. All right, well, just personally, as being the owner of AEW, how did you feel when Punk started going? I, I can't – it was like every – he was like a politician, Chris. Every question almost, he just completely deflected and turned it into something, a way to promote his product. It was kind of embarrassing, and then – Errol Hawani came on the air uh, by himself on one of his shows and because he got a lot of criticism for not getting a lot out of Tony, basically. And, I was, and basically said that Tony is was the most frustrating interview he's ever had, and it was definitely one of the least fun interviews he's ever conducted because 
he was not communicating anything. So I don't know. Yeah. So you and I have both done interviews with, you know, pretty famous people and, and we've had people on the show, go check those episodes out. Right. Um, there is like, sometimes you want to ask ahead of time, like, what do you want to talk about? Like to get a guideline of what you're supposed to talk about. But at some point, you know, if they don't say anything back, you would just assume it's an open forum, right? So, like, that sucks for him, and I could understand why he was super fucking frustrated with it. Uh, I we Lana is one the Geek Vibes did. I was originally supposed to do, but I could never get an answer of what <laughs> what we were actually talking about because she did the movie with Bruce Willis uh, and was still employed by WWE at the time. But Miro had already left to AEW. I was like, what the well. Is there things that they don't want me to ask? And you can, like, as an interviewer, you can get yourself in a really bad situation with the person on air or, or however it's recorded. You can get yourself in a really weird situation. It sounds like that's what he's talking about. But even going back three years, they posted this thing where I, you know, it's it's an MMA podcast, which is funny enough. Funny, um, but he talks about so. Talks about that being one of the most awkward interviews he's ever had with that guy being the Jacksonville Jaguars owner or whatever at the time, um, which is what I thought all of this stemmed from was that original interview. Because I remember it from like, you know, even before AW started, that was is like Tony Khan is awkward, basically, because uh, Ariel has been at this thing for a while, man. Like in, you know, this is back in the day when Brian Alvarez would do the MMA interview, like the MMA podcast that he would do where he'd bring people on and interview them. And, and uh, Wrestling Observer Live reposted the original thing of him talking about it, which I thought was good on them because, you know, there's a lot of fanfare of Dave and Tony Khan being in bed together for lack Dude, of term. Dave. Dave straight up said that he understands where Ariel's coming from because it's been very frustrating trying to talk anything with Tony as of recently. So I, I don't know. Yeah. So it's it, whatever the relationship that people thought they had has obviously soured if it was one. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, hmm, I don't know. I will take Ariel's word for it. The guy is interviewed everyone especially in the mma world he's interviewed kind of everyone he's and even wrestling legends like he's done like bret hart and you know yeah jerry the king lawler and like he's a good interviewer if you like that kind of stuff but yeah from what he was saying is he basically got put in a position where you didn't give me any kind of guidelines of what you wanted me to ask you to give you a good interview because that's part of it like no one goes on saturday like you know uh dave letterman right like I, he's not the host anymore, but you don't just show up there and like he asks you random questions. There's like, these are the things we want to talk about. If you don't give the person that's asking you the questions, the things you want to talk about, then you kind of get what you get. And uh, yeah, I could see why that would be super frustrating. And not only that, like you said, all the legends that he interviewed, he's also interviewed triple H and probably will in the future again, now that he's running WWE where beforehand he was obviously in charge of NXT when he talked to Ariel. And he's also interviewed um, uh, UFCs. Why am, I, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, the, the, the main guy for UFC that is a promoter. Dana. Bald. Dana. Dana White. Yes, sorry. He has close to my name, and I fucking forgot his name. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Stop smoking so much weed. Anyways, but yeah. Uh, 
I don't know. It just, I mean, it's, I hate to say it. It's just unprofessional. It really is because you know, you've booked this interview ahead of time. And if the person sends you the question, like if they send you and say, is there anything you don't want to talk about, which is one of the main questions you want to ask, right? Like going into the interview. Cause what, like what will happen is you could end up, up in like a hostile type environment <laughs> with the person that you're interviewing, which you don't want for your show. I mean, maybe you do if you're like Jerry Springer or Vince like, McMahon. You know, <laughs> maybe you would want that, but like in general, you don't, you don't really want that. Like you want the guest to have a good time. You want to have a good interview with the person. You don't want to get a bunch of no comment answers, which is kind of what happened. So I could see why he's super fucking frustrated. Cause it sounds like he did from, from your description, what I've read, it sounds like he did his due diligence ahead of time of what do you want to talk about? What do you not want to talk about? Um, how can I help promote you? Because talk shows, that's, kind of what they do like if if you watch any of any talk show really it's to promote whatever like you know there's a couple of fun stories and then this is the new thing that's coming out or this is the new thing that's happening and it sounds like that did not happen in this particular interview uh it's i don't know i don't i don't know if tony is just approaching every interview as a shoot i guess but if you're doing that (sighs) straight be like if someone says, what the fuck's going on with CM Punk, you know, if his response is like, I don't know, ask CM Punk and his lawyer, that's fine. <laughs> like, but you can't just be like, no comment, because you're going to get these kind of criticisms. Well, yeah, and, and not only that, it's, it's it goes back to, you know, to kind of wrap things up. If you can't talk about that because there's legal issues, just mention it. But you can go into detail of how you felt as an owner of a company when you're asked about your freaking main star, your champion going that route. Like, you know, there could have been at least some type of like understanding, but even that type of shit was reflected. So I don't know, man. I like Tony, but you know, if you, if you go on these platforms, if you're going to go on Pat McAfee show, if you're going to go on Joe Rogan, whoever you got to give like some type of limitation and let the fucking person know that, or it's going to be a shit interview and I, f- I forgot the guy. Was it Bob Costas that uh, Vince, like, wanted to strangle? Like, you don't want it to get like that, you know? Um, hey, yeah, we're, yeah, Vince is an absolute dick. It was, like, HBO sports guy, Bob Costas. He actually, multiple events, like, almost killing a dude on HBO. One of, with multiple HBO shows during the 90s, during the Attitude Era. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, I think part of it, and it, it helps the other person as well, right? So it's just, you know, set the guidelines of what you want to talk about ahead of time. It's it doesn't even seem that hard if you don't want to talk about CM Punk and you you know, it, you, I'm absolutely not going to talk about CM Punk, then just put that in there and then the guy won't bring it up, right? The the host or whoever's interviewing you. Unless and maybe Hawani was lying. Maybe he's lying off, I don't know. You know, I'm saying maybe he did get told not to ask certain questions. We won't really know, but from everything I gather and from other people like Dave saying similar things and agreeing with him, you know, Tony has, I guess, if you listen to Busted Open when he's on there, I think Dave wants him on there every week to give the previews for the show. But there's got to be part of him. He deflects so many questions or he gets kind of defensive in the nicest way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also, like, with with the host of the show, right, Ariel, Um 
he would have been called out about that way ahead of time. He's interviewed some very fucking big people, right? Like this is not like with Dana White, for instance. If he was just, I'm gonna just throw a bunch of screwball questions at you. Dana White doesn't give a fuck. He'll he'll literally call. He calls people out all the time. Um, so I'm just gonna say that this was just either bad communication or Tony Khan, Tony Conning, pretty hard. Yep, Tony Khan gonna Tony Khan, man. But I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll get dynamite. I thought they had a good show. It's just like I said, the owner can be a bit frustrating uh, outside of stuff. And I guess this is for like, you know, anyone that likes sports, um, the owner for a certain football team, baseball team, basketball team, you know, you just got to deal with this type of shit. And I know for a fact, Vince has frustrated the fuck out of me for years. So hopefully he can uh, deflect that and come back. He's just dealing with a lot of shit right now too. I mean, I, well, the thing about Vince is he just stopped doing interviews, right? Like completely. And maybe that's where they're at with with the build of AW. At some point, just stop doing interviews. You can't you can't do these press conferences and let people speak their minds in a non wrestling sense and then ignore it. Like if something goes wrong, which is what happened, because the idea is like well, I'll let the didn't speak their minds and I'll be able to build storylines off of it, which is fine until you hit a point, right? And we saw this. We've seen these points really hit in the past like few weeks, uh, but you can't go on like this kind of like a big podcast like that with a with you know a, a renowned uh, interviewer and then just be like no comment on some of the biggest topics in your company unless it's like you know the interviewer is going to be able to steer uh, steer the conversation wherever. But like he should have already known those questions were coming regardless, even if he said, I don't want to like if he said ahead of time, he didn't want to talk about it. But if he didn't say that, you have to know the CM Punk thing is coming. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like he's one of the biggest names in wrestling. That's why you signed him to begin with. <laughs> so yep. You know, the, you know, the questions fucking coming. Like, right. So either get ahead of it and, and, and say, I only want to talk about these things. Um, or whatever. I don't know. It's just weird to me. The the entire situation's weird, and Tony Khan is maybe he's now getting to the. When we've talked about this a little bit, he's kind of seeing the other side of like, well, I'm paying people money, but they're still not happy, which is the Vince McMahon side of things. Like, oh, they don't like the way they're booked, or they don't like uh how they're pushed, or. They don't like this person in the locker room. There's all this other stuff <laughs> that comes with being a wrestling promoter. Like back in the day in the territories, you could just send the motherfucker somewhere else, right? You're like, all right, we'll go work in Georgia for six weeks and come back. Uh, it's not really that anymore. <laughs> well, you kind of went into a subject I'd like to talk about for a second. Uh, reflecting on – and, you know, like like we both said, basically, we hope that Tony gets – this stuff under control, um, but like it's frustrating as a fan to see stuff like this. But you said the territories. We got the first episode I've seen. I haven't seen the second episode, but Tales from the Territories, uh, the Memphis edition. A um, lot of fucking fun. Love the idea of the show. Uh, they don't have Jericho doing the narrating. They have The Rock now, which is fine. I mean, both of them are great when it comes to that. And they have, like, a panel, which is very reflective of the Legends of Wrestling uh, panels. 
but specifically for those locations. So it seems like a bunch of guys telling stories. And uh, I have to say, I did not know about some of the fucking crazy shit that happened over in, you know, uh, Tennessee and Kentucky for the C, uh, what is it, CWA? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, you know, with Jerry Jarrett uh, fucking grabbing that guy's eye, eye out of his socket because he was pissed about his pay and decided to hit the ring while he was having a match. Just a, a lot of crazy shit. Uh, but did you get a chance to watch it? And what did you think about it, Chris? So I did get a chance to watch the first episode. It very much reminded me of like the Legends and Roundtable that they used to do on WWE with Jim Ross and Michael P.S. Hayes and Gerald Briscoe. And they would, you know, they would bring people in. They would just tell these Gene stories. Okerlin. Yeah, and, and they would just tell the stories. It's that. Um, and one of my biggest problems with it is the reenactment. I don't think it needs to be there personally on the show. Like, I feel like they're telling crazy enough story. We don't need to see it. The, it's the dark side of the ring thing that they do. And that's it's fine. But, you know, the stories are crazy enough that you're already making the visuals in your head. Right. Uh, I will say for anyone that watched the first episode, listen to Jim Cornette's podcast where he has. The, the guys from Dark Side of the Ring, and I can't remember the names right offhand, um, they come on and do an interview with him, and he talks about the actual story. Uh, said guy, I can't remember. Oh, I think we might have lost you, Chris. Nope, sorry about that. Uh, no, you're no, good. Mario uh, Galento, I believe, is his name. I watched it yesterday. That's the only reason I remember. <laughs> so so Jim Cornette does the podcast. He's talking to these guys and it, it's, it's wrestling. So every story changes, but he's like, he's, he had already lost his eye, but he did get busted open for like 200 stitches. So you're going to get a different story every time. And that's part of the fun in wrestling when you're going back to these like kind of territory stories, right? <laughs> uh, which at that time, Cornette would have been a photographer, not necessarily in the business, but uh, I thought I thought there were some great stories there. Uh, did you see the second one? No. Which territory are they on? It's still Memphis, uh, but it mostly focuses on Andy Kaufman and his run there. And uh, Andy Kaufman apparently never cashed a paycheck from Memphis when he was working there. So he never. That's which, what I heard, man. Which is kind of weird. I guess he just really enjoyed it. And and obviously, shortly thereafter, Andy Kaufman died of cancer. So there may have been something with that or, or who knows. Right. But uh, he never cast a fucking paycheck and, and worked his ass off. And there's some great stories with Lawler there. I would say more so than we've seen previously, because he's talked about Andy Kaufman in the past. Uh, great, great links and extent. But uh, he's just kind of more open about it just being set down in this they they became pretty close friends right i mean a lot of people thought that was how andy kaufman really was and i've heard jerry lawler be like no man he was in on it are you kidding me like jim carrey <laughs> did not get that you know some, some people did not get that like andy andy loved wrestling but he understood the psychology obviously he was a skinny fuck but the whole building himself up as being able to beat women and having actual shoot matches with women <laughs> The original intergender champion himself. Oh, God. Gotta love him. He, uh, he is, so he is a, a legend of wrestling, though. And thank God he didn't get a title like uh, Dave Arquette. You know? <laughs> so there's a second uh, – in the second episode, they talk about – he did, like, have to shoot on an actual female rest, like an actual female wrestler in Memphis to beat her, like, in the ring. <laughs> but 
like they couldn't spill the gimmick. <laughs> like they couldn't tell it. Like they couldn't tell everyone that it was not real because it would spread, right? Um, so like he actually did have to have like kind of a shoot wrestling match. Fucking it's just crazy. crazy. It's just crazy, and it's. I, I'm not saying that wrestling needs to be that, but they're you know, if you're gonna bring in someone like a Logan Paul, or, which I, I don't know if we're ever gonna get get back to what it was in the 70s, but the the amount of realism that they have, especially when they're talking about the talk show with Jerry, and he pile drives him, and and any coffin actually goes to the hospital, yep. and stalls having a broken neck. Like, didn't he tell? Jerry to call the hospital basically he was like no get a fucking call 911 about this like like uh, try to go over the fucking top with it and that's so yeah. much dedication and appreciation for someone to come in the wrestling industry that's not a part of it and actually take it seriously yeah to the point where like the uh, the late night show they were on was like or is there going to be a lawsuit against us <laughs> kind of like you know that's <laughs> that's like the the best amount of work you could ever do as a wrestler. So I mean, they had to smarten him up. Uh, so yeah, they have, they have to sit down and smarten everybody up in the NBC offices or CBS offices or whatever. But um, yeah, so the, the second episode does heavily focus around that. The first episode was was really good though. I mean, like I said, the the only caveat to me is I don't need the reenactment stuff. Um, <laughs> Because it's not, it's not. With Dark Side of the Ring, it works a little better because they're telling like it's almost like stories. Well, it's a documentary as well, right? Yeah. This is more just people shooting shit in a room. I don't necessarily know that I need like the reenactments and uh, over vamping of music specifically. Like, you know, Jerry the King's talking about whatever in Memphis from the seventies. I don't need like wall, wall, wall over top of it. Like it's it's kind of a needed, but I get that they were they were trying to fit that into their format so that the next Dark Side of the Ring comes out. Is it, that just nitpicking? It's still fun. It's a great watch. I do. I will say that if you've heard these stories, the same thing as Dark Side of the Ring. If you heard a lot of these stories uh, for multiple people, you've you've heard these the stories, right? So the only thing you're getting out of this would be the personalities of the people telling the story. Yeah, but I enjoyed it, and I would definitely recommend people check it out. I will be checking out the next episode, um, and the next one that's coming out this weekend. I'm, I'm one behind, but uh, good stuff. Let's go from the territories back in the late 70s and 80s, uh, well, actually, before that, um, and talk about some some modern wrestling. What are you talking about? Extreme Rules first? Is that where we're going with this? Pretty yeah. good pay-per-view. Uh, I thought it was an excellent pay-per-view for the most part. We'll talk about the parts I don't like, but I'll say that most of it I did. So WWE's been good about doing this lately. And uh, just like when I'm going to talk about Monday Night Raw, I know it was a premiere. I know they had the whole DX thing. But as of right now, and a lot of people are saying this within the industry. Triple H has done a really good job taking the ball and fucking going with it. And, I mean, Extreme Rules is not really that big of a deal of a pay-per-view. And they still got a lot of mileage out of it. And, to me, the whole idea of a pay-per-view, basically with the ECW-style rules, and they do a bunch of gimmick stuff, you know what you're getting into. So, 
uh, you know, you can't really complain. And we had a lot of fun, some really great story driven matches, some really great brawling style matches. Um, but yeah, man, how did you think overall about Extreme Rules this last Saturday? I, I, really, I, I really liked it, and I'll give Triple H credit for this. Uh, he's giving the wrestlers time to develop the stories in the ring. That was that was one of the problems with like Rawls and SmackDowns of the past to build to a pay per view, is that you know how how much of a story can you tell in two minutes if it's not a squash match, right? So I think he's done a good job of that. And I thought Extreme Rules, it, it felt like an ex, old NXT pay-per-view, which is not a bad thing because we love those. <laughs> so it kind of had that that a little bit of that feel to it, right? Um, Extreme Rules is kind of weird just because it has gimmicks associated with it. But I, I enjoyed this pay-per-view. There's some really great moments on this. My fa- Maybe my favorite I quit match of all time on this pay-per-view, which we'll get into later. Um, some good shit, man. Like, honestly, WWE's past two pay-per-views have been really, really solid. And, you know, if you're, if you are a former WWE fan who transitioned completely over to AEW, go back and give it another watch, especially the more recent stuff. Cause WWE has been doing some, some really good work over there and it's not exactly the same. It's not one for one. You know, there's, they're not doing a lot of the spot matches that AEW does. But there's a lot there. If if you're a former WWE fan, now would be the time to kind of tune back in because I feel like they are kind of hitting, starting to hit where they where they could be and should have been for quite a while. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate all your compliments. I don't know what this AEW thing is that you speak of, but uh, you know we're we're doing what we can over here. Well, thank you. Are you not ready? Were you not you, ready for Triple H? Chris? Do you think he, is he going to drug me and try to marry me in a drive? Oh my God, Jesus Christ! That storyline does not fucking do well, Mars. Does not hold up. Does not age well. All right, let's get into this uh, pay per view. Uh, this might have been—I mean, this is one of my favorite matches to start things off. Very strong start. It was an all-out, good old-fashioned Donnie Brook six-man tag. Basically, anyone could do anything, three against three. You have the Brawling Brutes, Sheamus, Ridge Holland, and Pete the Butch Dunn, is what I'm going to call him. Makes me feel better. Against Imperium, Gunther, Ludwig Kaiser, and Giovanni Vinci. Uh, these guys beat the living. I can't remember certain details about this match, but the appreciation of seeing like six dudes like, fuck it. This is going to hurt. This is going to suck, but we're going to beat the living shit out of each other. Um, great stuff. And then Sheamus would end up getting the pin, um, by doing the bro kick and winning this for the brutes. And, you know, it seems like they're pivoting to a new direction with the brutes. As of last night, it looks like they're going to be doing Usos and brutes or Sammy and the Usos and brutes, I should say, but I know they're going to eventually come back to Walter and Sheamus and, Honestly, he's gotten he lost to him. He won this tag match. I don't know if you can really count that. Actually, I think he lost to him twice. Um, but still, I like seeing these two guys just beat the living hell out of each other. It's kind of like almost they can't go to the full extent of the All Japan glory, but like a modern Vader and uh, Stan Hansen. When those two get in the fucking ring, they're going to beat the living shit out of each other, and it's not going to be pretty, basically. 
yeah, and I, you know, it adds that realism that WWE kind of needs, or all of wrestling kind of needs with with those two cats. I will say this, like Pete Dunne going back to like his original ring gear and having that look and being like you said, Pete Butch Dunne. So where it's more of a nickname has worked so well for him. He's super fucking over. Uh, so I, I don't know what you do with that as WWE. You got to break him out of this group because Sheamus has also gotten super over uh, as well, which is kind of surprising. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I would assume that the buildup is to Mania with Walter versus Sheamus. I'm, I'm going to think that this is going to go for quite a while regardless. Yeah, but yeah, great. I, fucking, I would love that. Fucking match. Um, all right, so the next match. Uh, this took a little dip. We had Ronda Rousey going against Liv Morgan in an Extreme Rules match. And at, at first, I will say I like the ending. I'll just put that out right now. Um, at first, they were really flowing well together, and then it fucking just kind of fell apart, and you had a lot of spots that just... It looked like Liv Morgan fucked up some stuff. Um, maybe it was on Ronda, but I remember specifically there was a corner spot where she did something fucking wrong. And uh, I think what they were trying to go for was dropping Ronda into one of the turnbuckles, but you can go back and watch. 12 minutes. Ronda got the fucking title. And now Liv Morgan looks like she's feuding with Sonya Deville. I know there's a lot of Liv Morgan fans. I'm so glad Ronda has this title. And she had this week off, but I, I want her to come back and kind of, like I said, do what they're doing. Be the female Brock Lesnar, if you will. Um, I still wouldn't mind if she got a mic or, a, uh, you know, someone on the mic that could be her person. Kind of like how Paul was to Brock. But I'm hoping where they're going is her versus Shayna Baszler. That's the direction I want to see. I think that they'll work really hard together and they'll probably put together some really fun very technical, but very hard-hitting matches since they know each other. They're both from the MMA world. I think that would be where I would go. But Liv Morgan lost, and she smiled while she got fucking choked out by Ronda Rousey. I don't really know what the hell that means. And the rumors about her being involved with Bray Wyatt better not be true. Yeah, so that was, like, the finish itself was fine. I thought the match was decent. Um like you said, there were some botched spots. I wouldn't even blame that stuff on Ronda, though, because she's not doing any high spots. She's just catching, right? So she's just got to be in the spot. And there was there was places in the match where she's there just waiting for forever. Um, and then people that have listened to this podcast before, thank you guys for listening to the podcast, by the way. Uh, know that I'm not the biggest Liv Morgan fan, and I do not think that she's that good. Uh, and uh, to me, this match kind of showed that. I, I wouldn't even put anything on Ronda on this because she is the Brock Lesnar. You're supposed to be the Finn Balor in this situation, right? All she has to do is be there for whatever spot you're doing, and that did not happen. And I absolutely hated – I, I like the finish of the match, like the actual end of the match, but I absolutely hated that she's smiling and is happy about you know, basically getting her arm broken or whatever. I, I hated it. Dane. I, I was disgusted. I messaged you directly after I was like, there, there in no world. Does anyone believe that she is like a Raven abyss character where she is just loves pain. Like if, if that's where they're trying to go with this, they might as well kill it on site because there's no way. 
no way that's a thing. Yep. I agree with you. Now, I, 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 I do want to say I wish Rada would just wrestle in the gi like she does in uh, Saudi, though, because I think it's like a cooler look. But outside of that, like, I mean, Rhonda did exactly what she was asked to do, right? And I thought had a pretty good match. And uh, the the build up, I I think you can do what you're talking about with uh God, why can't I think of Baszler beforehand? The build up is like, you know, Charlotte's gonna come back at Rumble, win the Rumble, and then that's your match for Mania. Yeah, I, I would makes, assume. Which makes a lot of sense. And, and will be a really good match because Charlotte's really great. And, and you could throw Becky in there or, you know, Bailey. They, they're all going to have a good match with Ronda, right? And Ronda has more experience and she's gotten better. Like like you said, I don't put a lot of the uh, spots on her just because I know, you know, the fundamentals and stuff. When someone's waiting on a person, choose another person. If you go to do a turnbuckle spot and you fuck it up completely and then Ronda's like, just go, just keep on going. Like, I felt like Liv was trying to, like, tell her to do it again. And it's like, no, you fucked it up. Keep on going. Shit happens. But. Right. Yeah. It's, was, it's one of those, it's one of those spots where, like, Ronda is not a professional wrestler by trade. She's not going to be able to just call an audible in the ring. She's there for the spot. So if you fuck up your spot, that's on you. That's not on Ronda. She's, the, she was there <laughs> just because you fucked up on the ropes. It's not. I heard a lot of this, like blaming Ronda Rousey for this. And I'm like, what? She is the Brock Lesnar in this situation. And the, like I said, the perfect example is like Brock Lesnar versus Finn Balor. Finn Balor didn't fuck any of this shit up. <laughs> nope. Lesnar was Neither there did Brian for Danielson. You did Seth. Neither did all the small guys that Brock went against and had great matches. AJ Styles. You know, they were there when Brock was there to get him. You know? <laughs> and that's what yeah. made the match flow. And Brock's great because he's there. Like all your entire job in that position is to just be there, kinda. So like if you if, like if the spots get fucked up, at some point if you're the one doing all the high spots and weird shit that's not like suplexes, <laughs> it's kinda on you. If the other if the other person is just standing there looking lost, it's not because they're in the wrong spot. So like I feel like the entire internet. Should take a fucking chill pill on Ronda Rousey because I thought she was pretty good in this match. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, so the third match was a strap match, ten minutes between Karrion Cross and Drew McIntyre. I felt like finally when they got in the second gear, the match ended. Like I felt like that was the problem with this match specifically. It was a hard hitting match. Started off with Drew getting the better of uh, Cross and just whooping his ass everywhere and then cross got the better of him. Um, and then it kind of like just ended. Um, you know, I know there was some heel shit involved in it, but I don't know. I, I, I like, they're still going to go in that direction. The way they opened up SmackDown last night with carrying cross being involved in a car accident and him and Scarlett both bloodied, coming out of a car, you know, and making it look like it's a news report. Like, right on the scene, look what happened. Because Triple H loves his fucking parking lots, if you can't tell. And then Drew McIntyre coming out of nowhere, seeing what happened, and taking advantage of it, and just beating the living fuck out of Karrion Cross. We're going to continue with this, but this is one of the... these the, the, the match before and this match were probably the weakest on the card, I would say. But this was better than the last match. In my opinion. Oh, I think it's like kind of tied for me. They're both way down on my list of good matches on the show, but none of them were like 
even the last match wasn't a bad match, right? Like, no, it, it's one of those like because I, I want people listening out there. This was a good pay-per-view and there was good, like really good matches. Even the ones that we're saying are bad were good matches uh, to me, at least um, this one. Just I don't know, because it's kind of the first carrying cross match. I kind of expected more. And if anyone looked like a star in this match, it was Scarlett <laughs> as the manager, right? So beautiful. Um, she's She was great. Like, you know, she made sure the guy got the win. But the idea of Karrion Cross is supposed to be like, tick, tick, your time's up. I'm a ticking time bomb that's going to rip your head off. Psycho Sid, uh, like I've always said, kind of. It, right. So having like the chicken shit heel way out of it where your manager has to get the Miz win or you know go throughout history where Scarlet is the one that actually has to get it done for him uh, I don't know that that's where I would have went booking wise for this yeah like I said I just feel like it never got in second gear I feel like it was going that direction and kind of like just oh never mind well, We're done. yeah strap match so it went super yeah. slow to begin with and and like i hated that he would refuse to put the strap on to begin with and then they kind of had a match before the match yeah um so there it, that's more of like booking road agent decisions though more than anything else right like i don't know if you want a good strap match look at like brody versus cody it's one of the best i've i've seen in a very long time yeah that was a great match um Next match, we had a ladder match for the WWE Raw Women's Championship. I believe they said this was the first ladder match um, with women's wrestling in WWE. I don't know if that's true. I think they've had TLCs, but specifically a ladder match. I think that's what they were promoting. Um, yeah, right. this, this is one This is one of those WWE revisionist history where they ignore the fact that they've had multiple money in the banks, which is just essentially a ladder match. But I guess this is the first one It's just a ladder match. Yeah, this is the first 1v1 ladder match, but we we literally have watched women's Money in the Bank matches in the past two years. So, Oh, and I also want to say I think it's actually smart of them. Instead of the stupid thing that they were doing for the longest time, where you would have the Raw crew, you'd have the SmackDown crew, and then on the pay-per-view, you go back and forth. They're like, okay, we have our Raw crew, which I think is gelling. You know, I like the the new guy, and it's weird seeing Byron as the interviewer, but he's still a part of it. Um, and then now having uh, Michael Cole with uh, Stu Barrett, um, or Wade Barrett, I should say, not his real name. Um, I think that's working out pretty well, but now you're going to get, and they're more used to it with the pay-per-views, Michael Cole and Corey. And I actually, I don't have a problem with it. I miss Pat McAfee, though. If you can get him for fucking pay-per-views to be the third guy on that, that would actually be preferable. But just little things like that that Triple H does, I'm like, that makes sense. Like, why the fuck did they do that? You know? Yeah, I don't don't know how much we're going to get into NXT, but I completely agree with some of the changes they've made on commentary. Booker T. Booker T was great on NXT. I put him over because I watched it yesterday because I was out of town. So I finally got to watch it. I was like, you know what? Like, just rotate people in and out. It's not, not necessarily a bad idea. Um, as long as you don't just stuff like four people in the booth. This is the AEW problem where you have too many people, right? 
Um, but yeah, like I, I had no problem with the commentary on this pay-per-view at all. In fact, I thought Michael Cole was actually good, like in spots. Um, there was one I see that I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe it was in the main event. Um, he had a couple of like really good, almost JR-esque moments. And I think that comes from like not having someone in your headset, right? Oh, yeah. And the fact they're allowed to reflect on other things that happen outside of the promotion and kind of build stuff up, I mean, it makes sense, honestly. And I've always – I know that Vince's whole thing is like, well, it's only in WWE. But I like that Michael Cole has been listing certain accomplishments or certain history things. Um, even as little as AJ Styles and the brothers and Finn Balor, you know – or no, that wasn't him. It was uh, – I think Corey Graves was talking about it on Raw. You know, they've all had a reoccurring – you know, part of a group within Japan, you know, you don't have to list everything, but it's nice to see that. Um, Cause why would you, why would you not like triple H is just, I don't know, man, maybe I'm putting a little bit too much of uh positivity on him. I just think that he gets it. And I unfortunately thought that Vince didn't get it for a very, very long time. Kind of lost I, it. There's still things that can be tightened up on both shows, right? We're not saying triple H is perfect. Um, by any yeah. means, but yeah. if, if you watch the if you watch a new Monday Night Raw versus one from two years ago, it's like hell of a lot better. <laughs> it's not even close. Oh, shit, right? compared to like <laughs> 2010 Raw, where it was basically Saturday Night Live with uh, yeah <laughs> different guest hosts like Ben Roethlisberger. Great, cool. Isn't that the guy that beat up a woman in Georgia? Oh, never mind. I don't think he had done it th- at that point, but it was still like, wow, this didn't age well when I was watching an old Raw <laughs> from back in the day. Oh, Jesus. Uh, uh, but no, in general, I think Triple H has done a really good. I still hate the camera work on WWE. I hate it. Yeah. Um, maybe because I've watched so much wrestling in my life. I would rather have two stationary cameras that just go one, two, than whatever the hell WWE does. And they do it on this pay-per-view as well. Not as bad as they used to, but still pretty bad. Like, I was thinking, Chris, like, during the Bray Wyatt, I thought some of the camera work was fucking great. It was like, did did Triple H tell Kevin Dunn to take a fucking hike and he just took over for that? Because I'm getting so sick of his... Still, it's like... I have no idea because I know Triple H doesn't like him. Why he's still there? I have no idea if he has like nude photos of Stephanie or some shit at this fucking point. But god damn it, his shaky cam bullshit and so many camera angles just fuck shit up. Ugh. He has he has the video evidence of the day rape <laughs> that happened with Triple H and. Oh god, we're not gonna go back in that horrible storyline. <laughs> God damn. And then they end up getting married and falling in love after that. That's the fucked up part in real life. (laughs) Vince wrote that about his own daughter. (laughs) This is the man that you guys put on a pedestal. And if you guys want to see a terrible match in many ways, go watch Stephanie versus Vince McMahon from like, what was that? 2009. Or any Ted versus Triple H match where Triple H is, like, really trying to help this guy. <laughs> God damn, dude. All right. Um, but, yeah, Bianca and Bailey, awesome ladder match. Uh, they did some innovative things. I love the ending. Uh, what is her finisher called? The KOD? 
Yeah, isn't it like she? It's like a. It's 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 kind of like basically an upside down version of the Death Valley Driver, but you go forward like a uh, like the Mission uh, 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 Snoke like Driver. Me. Or whatever Sammy does, whatever the hell he calls that thing. The uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's basically a rack into a Mishinoku driver. Um, right. But it looks awesome. She did both Eho and Dakota, which they they look like they're not too much weight, but she's fucking a badass. Does it to her, and then Bailey takes this gnarly fucking spot where she does it to Bailey, and Bailey tries to grab the ladder to kind of like get some more weight to get away from her. Bianca picks her up. And she grabs the ladder and basically does a KOD on top of the ladder with Bailey. I thought she fucking fucked her chin up. I'm happy she's okay because that could have gone horribly, but it was an awesome spot. And then wins. And then Bailey loses to Candice LeRae on Raw. So I guess they're trying to build in a storyline that Bailey's. I don't know if they're positioning her eventually to babyface or if she's going to double down on being a heel, but they're definitely putting her at like, I came back maybe too early, I guess, within the storyline. I don't know. I'm interested in it, though. Yeah, I want to see how it plays out, because I wouldn't have brought Bailey back this way to begin with. I, I would have brought her back at Rumble last year when she was because they just had her on ice for a while. Like she was good to go. Um, and then they brought her back and put her in the storyline. We've talked about fantasy booking on the show. So go check out past episodes of what I would do with Bailey uh, was not this. But, uh, you know, EO and uh, Dakota, right? Like they're working out pretty well. So uh, the baby, if if you want to do a baby face turn, it's the eventual beat down of Bailey by the champions versus her. Like you're the one that's causing our failures kind of thing. Yeah. You can't keep up. We're the tag champs. Where the fuck's your belt? Basically you said that you were on, you know, she acts like she is the teacher for them and they have more gold and they're winning more than she is. Right, and in some instances, when you're like EO, you're like, I've held not as well, I was going to say I've held a belt longer than you, but it's probably pretty comparable because didn't they both hold it for like 400 days because EO was the NXT champion for forever, and Bailey was the uh, SmackDown women's champion for forever. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting storyline. And I I thought what they were going to do like there's a couple of ladder spots there. I thought for sure Bailey was going to wrap the hair around the, the ladder and tie it so that she just couldn't get up. Like she was just going to be hung from the ladder basically. And they didn't do it. So when they didn't do that spot, I was like, okay, well obviously, you know, Bianca's going to win, but she had to overcome all the odds. Uh, yep. Yep. I like Bianca a lot. Like she's fucking great. Like her and Bailey had a really good match. The the latter spot you're talking about, which I I because you said me you're like, did she just mess her chin up? I was like, no, I think she's just that good at selling. Like, ugh, it looked bad though. She, but it was awesome looking. She did such a great moment. There's such such great like as far as wrestling goes or dance or any kind of athletic performance. Bianca steps out to do that spot and thinks about it. And then walks over one step to make sure she has enough room. Yeah. And that it's just such a simple thing. And maybe like, you know, a hundred people would watch that match and not even notice that they'd be like, oh, she's just setting up for her move or whatever. But it's like, no, she was making sure that they were all going to be safe in that. Cause like if the ladder hits ropes, if it, it like, it was just a great fucking moment. Bianca is a million dollars. She's fucking great. 
Her and Rhea Ripley are definitely the future. You know, they're two of the best two within the new women that have come up. But yeah, I'm definitely enjoying Bianca, and we'll see what happens with Bailey. I know? go as far to say Bianca is the best thing that came out of NXT in the past like three years, easily. Oh yeah, no, I can definitely say that. You know, it's kind of hard not to be able to figure out someone else because she has been dominant, been WrestleMania main events. You know, I mean, it's fucking ridiculous the amount of uh, excellence she's done in the last couple of years being from NXT. She's great. She wasn't fired and rehired, so that's already a plus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, no. Hey, man. You know it's, I love seeing Bailey back. I thought they had a really great match. Bailey's fucking phenomenal. She's beautiful. I love you, Bailey. Um, I, I thought that was a really, really fun match. And, and even we called it in our predictions. I was like, this might be match of the night. And it was damn near close, really. Um, These last three matches were fucking awesome. And then we got a little dessert afterwards. Like uh, the I quit match. I hated because I hate I quit matches. But God damn, what a finish. So Finn Balor and Edge had their I quit match next. Um, and my God, it was just the two of them for the most part until the ending where obviously. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blinking on the name of their group. How many times do you have to do like spots where you have to come in and help me because I'm my stoner brain? Um, Dude, I always what's... forget as well, but it is named after an old WWE pay-per-view, and I always forget it. Judgment Day. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. But uh, they didn't get involved for the most part. This match started off, I'll say it, kind of boring, methodical. It was, it really picked up, and it's a 30-minute match, but it really picked up once they got in the audience. And they didn't have to do anything where, where Finn Balor jumps off a fucking top part like we're kind of used to seeing, uh, mainly in AEW. Like, they were just beating the living hell out of each other. And Finn's selling like a motherfucker. Edge has one of the most intense faces in wrestling history to me. Uh, the way he sells stuff, like when he's not selling as in getting, getting hurt. Like, the way that he just looks on his face for anything, just great. Um, but the ending, the storytelling... Them all getting involved and coming out and trying to help Finn out with Edge, you know, and then his wife at Phoenix getting involved, taking out Rhea Ripley, and then they still get the better of them. Rey Mysterio comes out. He gets taken out by Dominic. You know, he's on the outside. Uh, they got Edge in a hold uh, from uh, what you call Finn Balor. He won't give up. So what do they do? They make him give up by threatening, or Rhea Ripley, I should say, threatening to concerto um, Beth Phoenix. I also have to give props. I don't know if she accidentally nailed her a little bit, but Rhea Ripley did a good concerto. Usually it looks kind of like garbage a lot of times, and it actually looked pretty damn effectful. And just Beth having her arm the opposite way and kind of twitching, like the sell of it was great. But they're like, we're going to do this. Finally, I just like, oh, shit. Like, I give up. Please don't do that, you know. And what do they do as a great heel faction? Rhea does it anyways. She nails her, like I said, great sell from Beth Phoenix, twitching and stuff from the impact. And they live edge, just holding his wife. Rey Mysterio couldn't help him, just looks completely defeated on the outside. And the Judgment Day stands tall. And what happened on Raw with them? 
is now a new wrinkle that I love. It's not where we thought they were going, but Finn's on fire. We'll get into his promo on Raw because, my God, him and Adam Page repeating the same fucking thing over and over again. Uh, at least Page did it with a lot more passion where I liked it, where it was like, okay, we get it. You ended Edge. We get it, Finn. You ended Edge. You had to ask all the members of your group. Like, all right. But I love Finn Balor. He's doing great. Damien Priest, doing great. Dominic's still awkward sometimes on the mic. Like, there's not a lot of conviction, but when he... When the audience is booing him out of the building, it's like he gets that confidence, and he's doing better and better. And Rhea Ripley, I mean, she's the best thing I would say out of it. Him so, right. together are perfect, right? Like, he's getting more of a rub off Rhea than he did his dad, which is kind of weird. Like, he's more popular <laughs> now. Like, I don't know how that's even possible, but it's true. Like the idea of him, especially now that he's got like the, uh, the flow going, the mullet flow going and, and leaning into the Eddie Guerrero and they're, they're definitely teasing the China Eddie Guerrero thing. And he's calling her mommy and stuff. It has helped him so much. Like he's more interesting now than he's ever been. Right. Am I wrong on this, Dane? No, he is, uh, and I, I agree with you, the Eddie Guerrero stuff, and not only that, I don't know if Damian Priest had some influence, I'm noticing, you know, when he gets confident, and he's, like, going off, he has, like, certain mannerisms of a Scott Hall that I like, like, he's getting, he's figuring out a package of, like, making him a heel, which is kind of crazy, because you would think that he would be the ultimate babyface because of his dad, but man, he's getting heat before he even gets to say anything. <laughs> So it's, it's easy to forget that Eddie Guerrero was a heel just because we love him so much. But. Well, he was a heel even when he was a baby face. Remember lie, cheat and steal. It's like he always <laughs> kept even, on doing that. Even even the storyline with him in China, he was cheating on her and being an asshole. <laughs> like, yep. So while, while technically he was cheating on his wife, who was having kids at the time, if if we're being, you know, well, not really, but, you know, what I'm saying. Ray's wife or Vicky? <laughs> no, Vicky. Eddie was married, and everyone kind of like, you know, Vicky doesn't get introduced until later in WWE, but yeah. So if him and China are messing around, then he's messing around in China, and he's messing around with his wife as well. You know, Eddie oh. lies, cheats, and steals. Yeah, he lies, cheats, and steals. He tells you right in the song. He's <laughs> being honest. Um, <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think that he's way more interesting now. And, you know, going forward, he should just do Eddie Guerrero spots. Like, fuck it. Like, if you're going to do the character, right, just do Guerrero spots. Just look at a thousand Eddie Guerrero matches and only do that. And people will pop for it. It doesn't matter. It's not like it's going to hurt any wrestling fans' feelings since everyone does a bazillion Eddie Guerrero spots anyways and, and points to people in the audience wearing Eddie Guerrero sh- shirt before they, before they do a frog splash or whatever <laughs> yeah man i i agree with you and like i said i think it's actually I, I know people probably don't but i think it's actually smart to bring ray mysterio you know he's told triple h last night that he can't do this anymore he can't fight with his son that he wants to quit basically and triple h convince him to now get get over to smackdown to be away from you know judgment day which that works because now you can get them to do their own thing and then come back to it because I think they're eventually going to do that. Because yes, I still want you get a great rumble spot, right? Between yeah. Eddie and Son. 
where like all you guys are on separate brands, but now they're in the ring together. Everyone else is laid out, and it's like him and his son. And he's like, how how much do I love my kid? <laughs> kind of. And that's how you build a WrestleMania. They have that interaction for the first time in a long time. They maybe take each other out of the Royal Rumble, and you know, and he if he wants to, he can be like, you're not even my real dad. You know, why do we keep on pretending this? And WrestleMania, which is what Ray wanted to do, he gets to have a match against his son at Mania. And I think that's where they're going. That's what I'm assuming, at least. You know, Vicky Guerrero being signed with AEW is actually beneficial to WWE at this point. Because this is such an easy thing to fuck up. If they brought her in and they started doing like a weird, weird family line, which was what they would do. Uh, it's good that she's not available, so that it's just left up in the air, <laughs> right? Is there going to be anything <laughs> weird about, like, Vicky? Like, would she be able to kibosh if they brought up Eddie? I don't think, I mean, well, I mean, WWE treats Eddie with, I mean, other than the, you know, Ray storyline, I guess, they do really treat Eddie Guerrero as a legacy very, very well in comparison yeah. to a lot of other wrestlers. Um, so I, I don't know. And there's so many big fans of Eddie, like, you know, AJ Styles, but fuck's going on here, boys. You know, like, there's so many people that would show up if, if something was a little off kilter, uh, big name stars like Kevin Owens and Sammy, you know, Sammy Zayn and, and, and AJ Styles, obviously they would show up and, and have something to say about that if they just go a little off kilt with that. Um, so yeah. no, I don't think they will, but it's just a concern if they want to go down that road, you know, with her being on a different platform. I absolutely loved Rhea doing the concerto. The, the, the Matt concerto, which Edge kind of started doing after Christian left, is not as cool as like what the actual concerto was beforehand. Which is actually safer because they're just clapping the top of the two chairs together. So it looks crazy. But when Edge and Christian were doing that back in the day, it looked it looked insane. Because it was like two yep. grown-ass men swinging the chairs together. That was the concerto. So when they say concerto and one's laying on the mat, I was like, that's not really – that's not really adding anything. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, and – but I got to say that I am looking forward to seeing Beth Phoenix and Rhea Ripley just because I know that means a lot to Rhea and they've been wanting to work with each other. So now they're going to probably have a one on one match, I'm assuming, however many months from now. Um, she's got to sell that for a while. Like they can't just have her come beat up Rhea Ripley next week. That would be stupid. Well, I mean, she's going to have to because Rhea's still hurt. So she can't wrestle. So like, that's a good point. Rob that's a good point here, right? Like. That's the crazy thing about Rhea is like she actually on screen at least has become better since she got hurt, which seems impossible to me because she's great in ring. So like her and Beth <laughs> together, that's going to be one. That's going to be a big men slapping meat match right there. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be fucking great. They're going to be eating each other out of the building. Um, it was a great moment. But Edge, like, dude, watch the movies because, you know, they're still going to kill the person after they get the information kind of situation. But, man, his facial expressions uh, to me are up there with Piper and, and Savage. Like, he's so good at making anything. Like, when he's confident, when he's aggressive, when he gets hit by something and he's selling, when his wife is there. Like, 
this is why I think Edge was able to translate into a big show like Vikings, basically, as a big part, because he sells it well with his face. Is and it, that's is an it, acting is, tribute. Is it that, or do you think it's like he actually learned how to act, like doing like that's a, yeah, that's I think I think you're absolutely right because he had that beforehand, but man, he's been able to be just show so much emotion without even opening his mouth in the last couple of years since he came back. That's definitely a yeah. positive quality about his return. I think he, I think he wouldn't have left this group if he knew Vince was on his way out because there were some very different. <laughs> There were some very different things, apparently. Like, he literally said, like, I left the group because I did not want to do that booking-wise. So I kind of want to know what the opposite booking of Judgment Day would have been. Pretty much not, since they didn't go Mystic, pretty much what it is now uh, with Edge in it, because they didn't. And that's what Edge didn't want to do. He was like, I didn't want to take it in, like, a, a mystical, like, sort of thing. Like, we don't need that. Um, and I'm also, a lot of people were like, why didn't Finn Balor come out as a demon? I'm like, I didn't need the demon. Like that can, like that really is his break glass. Um, I need a, like maybe with AJ Styles again, because their first match, he was a demon, but I didn't need it in this scenario. Well, as we've seen, the demon is so powerful. He breaks ring ropes and dies. Oh, uh, That's the last time they used him. Can you believe that? Like Jesus. What yeah, an ending. If you're Finn Balor after that, you're like, the only way I'm breaking the demon back out or any face paint is if I have to go to New Japan. Like, <laughs> or if I'm definitely going to fucking win. I mean, what the yeah. hell? I, I mean, like, I would never break that out in WWE again. He was already like, I don't want to do it like that often. They want him to do it all the time. And that's the last one they give you, like flashing lights in the like, road. Roman beating him. That was fine. They did not need the extra Vince McMahon bullshit that would happen. Like, it was – if Roman beats the Demon, you know, that's not a bad person to fucking lose to. But the way they did it with the ropes and everything else, it was fucking stupid. It made no he, sense. You know, he, had, he he beat the Demon with, like, four other people. He could just spear yeah. him, got the pin. It's fine. No, no one would have batted an eye at that. It's it's the extracurricular stuff. To me, the demon is forever tainted in WWE. Now, if Finn Balor gets released and goes to like New Japan and puts on like the fucking Venom makeup and and just ha- like runs through the Super Juniors or something, I'd be like, hell yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, I'm just kind of done with the demon. I don't know why we're still. Like, I don't even know why people are still talking about the demon because Finn Balor in general as a wrestler is fucking great. I actually like him better as Prince than the demon thing. The demon thing was just a gimmick for matches. It wasn't like an actual character. WWE built it into a character. Yeah, I think Triple H's original like intention for it back in NXT. And I, and I Finn said pretty much so much was having like, if Keiji Muto was normally Keiji Muto and then he brought out Great Muta, which funny enough, a lot of people back then had no idea that they were the same person. <laughs> That's how good. Well, we also didn't have social media and shit to ruin it. But, you know, it's like he if it was Keiji Muto and he was also a, an ex-Japanese or New Japan star so him coming over here and then he uses the Muta part in pay-per-views to be like. Kind of like what Mick Foley would say the Cactus Jack is. That's where he goes to the place in his head where it's the most aggressive, you know? 
But I, the main roster fucked it up. After he won the title and was out and came back, it just completely started depleting the value in it, I think. I, man, I, I agree with you on this 100%. But you said Muda, and I immediately go like, would I love Japanese wrestling as much as I do if it wasn't for Muda and Jushin Th- Thunder Liger? <laughs> oh, shit, man. Them in WCW. Like, to me, they're all-stars. They definitely both Hall of Famers in our Hall of Fame. They're in our Hall of Fame. God damn it. That's all that matters. But, uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I don't know that we need the demon, especially not in Judgment Day. I don't. They're yeah, all- I, don't, I don't need it. Like. Like, if Judgment, if they build that group up and they get, like, maybe another member that's, like, if they get, like, a Braun Strowman or, like, a big type guy, uh, and and eventually he is the guy that gets pushed out and he has to go against the entire group, much like Edge is doing now, then you might have a reason to bring the demon back. But, I mean, they killed the character. To me, they killed the character with the lights and the flashing and whatever. But, uh to get back to our original point of extreme rules. This is a good fucking match. Really good match. Yeah, I would say the best match. And I did like the last match, too. I think the, the audience, in my opinion, was a bit exhausted. But I know why they did it. Like, I don't know if it would have worked out. This match, it kind of faded out, stopped, and then Bray came in. I don't know if you really wanted that with Edge seeing his wife. You know, it made sense where they put it. but um. We had the fight pit match, Chris, and uh, DC looking like Carl Winslow. You know, MJF said that about fucking Stokely Hathaway. I don't know, man. I think that he had that Winslow strut a little bit in that referee outfit, but I love DC. It was good seeing Daniel Cormier uh, a part of this. The referee, I'm joking, obviously. Um, but because you don't want to get stretched. <laughs> basically, is what I'm essentially saying. And not only that, I mean, I got a little bit of extra love in myself, so I can't really say anything. Um, but Seth and Matt Riddle, I mean, they, they, beat, they beat the shit out of each other. That fucking spot where he did the senton, Matt Riddle, onto Seth. I felt, I don't know, maybe Seth is just really not good at selling, but I thought he hit the fuck out of his ribs instead of, like, going over him. That he looked painful as shit. And it's straight on his ass. So I actually felt worse for Riddle on this because I watched this multiple times. He barely touches Seth and he went straight on his ass. So, like, so he nailed his tailbone from the top yeah. of that part, basically. <laughs> but yeah, they beat the living fuck out of each other. And uh, Seth, at the end of it, ended up tapping out. And I think they're going to continue the storyline, obviously. I, I, both guys, I believe, have one win now. So maybe we're going to go into. A, a third match of some type uh, eventually, but you know Matt Riddle was uh was was the winner at the end of this, and uh, Seth pretty much dipped down the audience, very pissed off, looking like he was in pain. Um, and I also like that he he had the uh, regardless if his ribs got hit, he used that as an opportunity to wear like the fucking um last night where, or Monday I should say wearing the uh, tape around his ribs um, to emphasize it. So. I thought this was fun. I want to see this come back. And I like DC in his position. I liked how Seth Rollins kept on crossing the line. And like DC would be like, do not put your hands on me. Okay. I'm not one of the other refs. Like, you know, I will fuck you up basically if you keep on doing that. So it was, it was fun. Yeah. It was very much the Ken Shamrock spot, right? Like the enforcer 
Yep. And I like that he didn't get involved in the match at all. Like that's good. Like, like, like to me, that's better than like you got the enforcer. Now he's in the match, kind of thing. Um, I I love this match. I thought it was absolutely incredible. Seth and uh, RK Bro himself. Man, do they have chemistry? They really yeah. like they're. It's like next level. And they're working on that fucking platform together. That weird cage thing they're doing with that stupid platform on top of it is very WCW of them to even exist. <laughs> well, there's no ropes, so if you want to do a high flying thing, how are we gonna do that? All right, let's just get let's just get higher. <laughs> they're doing like suplexes up there on basically like a piece of plywood. I'm like, God damn, you guys are crazy, man. Like. I loved every minute of this match. I thought it was absolutely incredible. Um, it was cool to see RK, you know, the King of Bros win. Matt Riddle getting the W was fun. He's He deserved it, earned it. He, he fought through all the obstacles. He finally gets a win over Seth Rollins. So I don't know what that means for Seth, but for for him particularly as a character, it was a good move. We'll talk for what it means to Seth since he got the U.S. belt uh, the next night from a very hurt Bobby Lashley. Uh, my God, I didn't see that coming at all. I'm so happy they're going back to that well. Brock Lesnar and Bobby. It's probably for fucking the Saudi Arabia event, but, dude, two big men slapping meat. Their last time they had a match was good. I'm looking forward to seeing Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar beat the fuck out of each other. Um, And Lashley is so much better. He's gotten so – Lastly is, and I've said this multiple times on the show, but God damn, has he gotten so much better than when he was like originally in WWE and TNA. Like this edition of Bobby Lashley is over 9,000. Like he's finally like it clicked. He knows what he has to do. It's very Brock Lesnar type style, but it's perfect for who he is. And, you know, he'll he'll do a big spot here and there, but it's it's just like for his size and the character, he's just goddamn has he been on fire for the past few years. Yeah, no, I agree with you, man. We'll get to more about that once we get there, but um, which will be the next thing we're going to talk about is like the highlights of Raw. Uh, but that wasn't it. Soon as Seth clears a ring, you know, if Matt Riddle's up, he's he's taunting Seth. He's happy at the top of the ramp. He goes inside uh, gorilla position. Seth just has like a pissed off look at his face. He's going through the audience um, to exit or wherever he has to. And then lights go off. And, you know, I will say not because it was a guy's fault. I felt like the audience got a little bit tired as until the ending of that last match where it really started cooking. But for this thing, they were fucking going apeshit. So it goes black. Um, we we hear, you know, you got the whole world in your hands. Right off the bat, you know it's definitely Bray Wyatt because that's something yeah, that's... He's, he's literally singing the song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like there's no question now. Let's just see what the fuck he's going to do. And he has little shots of the different characters from the, the, the funhouse that his buddy, which is – this is cool. Not only is he, he friends with uh, – what is it? Tom Savini? But the other guy he's friends with that designed his mask, that designed the Fiend mask, he designs all of Slipknot stuff, and he does horror movies. He just did uh, the mask for Ethan Hawke in um, 
in the black phone, which is why they're very similar concept, except for, I guess, Brace has like this Medusa thing on the top and a mustache. But, um, <laughs> so he, he designed all those costumes, those creepy fucking versions of all the characters. So we see the rabbit in the audience, you know, the spotlight goes on him, mercy, the buzzard in the audience spotlight goes on him, like all the characters. Then we get this really weird thing that I don't know worked as well. Cause we didn't see, you know, basically, all of a sudden, I guess when it was dark, someone just put the fiend head on the announce table, and Michael Cole and, and Corey Graves were like, "What the hell's that?" And they both like run out of frames. Like you didn't see that happen right the fuck in front of you, but you know who cares? Then the fiend's out in the audience, and then everything goes black. There's a door. There's blue lights. This was actually a tribute to Brody, uh, Brody Lee, because of his, you know, when he came on AEW, it was a very similar thing. So that's what he was going for an homage. We go into there, but before someone comes out, it goes to this video of the funhouse. Everything's destroyed, decrepit, like it's been sitting around for the last two years, basically. All the puppets have, like, you know, everything over them. And then it goes to his face on the TV screen, which is this new mask I was talking about. Just talking about who killed the world, you did. And then Bray enters. Uh, people go absolutely apeshit. He takes off his mask, reveals himself. And takes up the lantern and blows it out. And that's how they end the show. So everyone got their little sprinkle of Bray Wyatt. Um, we'll talk about him in his uh, kind of emotional interview last night, which kind of showed a different side of Bray Wyatt when he came out to the audience. And I love how they one would it. Like, that's going to be the last time you say that version of Bray Wyatt. Like, so we'll, we'll get to that. But, uh, hey, man, like, like uh, you said, all right, you, you're really creative. Now you don't have any restraints on you. Let's see what you can do. When we get to fucking match time, let's let's actually see what you can do because that's definitely a part of it. Um, we're not asking you to be fucking Jushin Thunder Liger, AJ Styles. You know, Sheamus <laughs> is Sheamus, and he's still able to do it. But can you actually have a beneficial match that doesn't, you know, go to hell in some regards? And that's the biggest thing. But when it came to first showing off Ray. I was happy with it. Chris, so I think he, I think he can have, I, I definitely think he can have that match, right? Like it's, he's an old school wrestler. He's, it's going to be a long-term thing. Um, it sucks that like he cannot get with Jake, the snake. Cause it's perfect. Like Jake, the snake would be like, this is how you would drag this match out this way. Oh, well Jake's and I believe him. I mean, he could be full of shit on it, but he said on his podcast with DDP, he, he talks to him all the time because he's good friends with Mike Rotundo, his dad, or has been in the past. So Bray has looked or asked him kind of like how Aleister Black, you know, information and picked his brain and he's given advice to him. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually wondering what Jake thinks about this presentation, because I know that's a big influence on Bray. Well, I mean, even with Bray, if you're looking at people in that locker room, like look to Randy Orton for the style of wrestling that he does slow yep. methodical triple h like there's a lot of great minds there and if they're going to give him time that's the that's the biggest thing right you have to give bray time in the ring for it to be a good match because it is going to be a more old school nwa style match not that he can't you know, like the guy moves fast as fuck for his size it's not it's not anything like that it's it's just you know, it takes so long to get to the pinnacle of his matches that it doesn't matter even going back to when he was original bray um, I, I think he's when he was trained by Mike Rotunda, his dad, 
wrestling was or a- his uncle Barry Windham or <laughs> had any type of influence from his grandfather fucking Blackjack Mulligan. It was you know. a different. Or his brother who was a collegiate wrestler in Bo Dallas who might be coming back to WWE coincidentally. So what's crazy is Bo Dallas got the WWE style very quickly to yep. me at least like he, you know, but Bray's kind of always been on the outskirts of like, what should I do? But now that triple triple H is there and you're giving everyone like 15 minute matches. I think that helps him immensely. Oh yeah. And Hey, another person, another great fucking legend that's been there a lot lately, helping out behind the scenes that people don't know about is someone that puts Bray over a lot that obviously he should be picking his brain too. And that's the undertaker. I mean, if anyone gets that type of level of commitment to a character, it would be Mark Calloway, you know? Do you want babyface Bray? Because I kind of want babyface Bray. I'm not going to well, lie. So I'll just get it. I'll, 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 we need to talk about this because this kind of correlates with Bray Wyatt showing up. So there's a lot of rumors and, you know, major people like Dave reporting it that I hope are not right. Like, I don't know. Bo Dallas would be one thing. Because that's interesting. They're brothers. Like, the whole idea of if if Bray kind of gives Bo Dallas the fiend persona, that's kind of like a Taker Kane type of thing, but, like, yeah. he's under his control. So that would be kind of interesting. You know, I like that. But the whole Bray Wyatt 6, Chris, I'll pass it right to you. I kind of hope it's he's doing, like, a face of Foley times two. So the Bray Wyatt we saw on SmackDown last night is, this like, one of them. But that's the last time you're going to see, like, the real, like, the Mick Foley. Because technically, Foley had four. Mick was, his real self was one of them. Um, and I would rather him have five different personalities that are all himself that he pulls from. I thought that would be interesting. Because I don't know if I need another faction. And I don't know if I need it, you know, I don't know. I, maybe if they present it a certain way. But I don't know if I need six people or five people with Bray Wyatt. I don't know. I think that's overkill to me well I, I mean i think the biggest thing is fans need someone to cheer for and bray coming back is a big deal we lost cody right yep everyone lost their mind for cody and he was the biggest baby face that company's seen in a very long time until he got injured and he worked through that injury which is still just to me is insane that <laughs> he had that match with seth um so bray coming back i mean like i would if I was booking it, he would be the biggest baby face in the company. Cause like, look at the baby faces around the like Kevin Owens. Right. I guess. Yeah. Um, Matt Riddle. Yeah. Riddle. I was going to say like oh, name, five, name five baby faces, like bring him back in the fans being so hyped for it. Even if he comes back as the fiend, you can be a fiend baby face. There's, there's baby face undertakers, baby face Kane. I, um, I, I, Babyface Kane. To me, Babyface Kane was the best version of Kane. I mean, I love the bald version afterwards that became like a Hannibal Lecter type character. And I like the darker one beforehand. But when he was teaming with X-Pac and just as he was kind of like, I mean, in a lot of ways, because he was silent, kind of like WWE Sting. I mean, Sting did it like a year and a half before that. But he was now a babyface. He was the silent dude, but like such a badass and going against everyone. So... Yeah, uh, talking, you can definitely do that. Are you talking about Team Hell now? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't get to that part. Um, <laughs> no, I'm I, honestly, for most of the stuff I've seen, I'm not really a big fan of. 
Team Hell No. But like, give me him and RVD or him and Xbox. But in general, like when you look around the room and you look, you're looking for baby faces. You're like, Cody's going to be back maybe before Mania, headed into Rumble just because of his injury. Outside of baby faces, like that's the guy. Like you, everyone popped for him. Everyone loves him, anyways, right? Like within that audience, they were so excited to see him. Just make him a fucking baby face. Like let's not do this weird. I know that he's supposed to be kind of mystical and things, but wouldn't it be cool if Bray was just like, I'm wearing the mask and I'm kicking people's ass as a baby face. He gets into the thing. He's like, Yeah, I'm a demon. He does the I'm a man promo. That we'll get to on Wednesday. Well, you know what? Maybe we should just demon. dive into the main event of last night where Bray came out and basically cut a really emotional pro- promo. Um, it was just him in a, in a tank top and black jeans and shoes. Just And he basically got across like, I want to talk to you guys as me. Like, this is this – is, he couldn't say, you know uh, – Wyndham Rotunda, but I think that's what he was going for. Like, this is me, this is Bray Wyatt, the real Bray Wyatt. He still had a little bit of his, you know, type of thing going on with his voice, but started crying during it and basically said, like, you know, thank you to all of you fans while I was gone for being there with me. And it's amazing that, you know, I was, I've dealt with people that have told me, and I can't believe, you know, that I have done a lot for them watching you know, the character on television or whatever. And, you know, he'd never think that that would happen and kind of like said that now you as the audience have done it for me, that he's dealt with a lot of stuff and he lost two really close people to him. I think one was a family member or it was, I think Jojo's family member. I don't remember exactly who his wife uh, who used to work for the WWE as an announcer. And obviously the other one was Brody Lee, big Brody chant was in the background and he's like, you know, he basically just said that he appreciates it. He had the same type of entrance coming out. His new song was playing. He had the lantern and everything. And then all of a sudden, like, he was like, it seems like he was about to say something else. And he gets cut off. Lights go out. And the Bray Wyatt with the mask on comes on the screen and basically starts cutting down the audience a bit. So I don't know what exactly that means. Like, if this is the end of this happy, because he was like, you know. In the audience, he was, you know, uh, fucking slapping hands with people and shit. Very baby face. But then this very heel version of himself comes on. So I don't know what they're going to do. But it was nice seeing that. Like, you know, people really like Bray Wyatt. And I think he was, regardless of where they're going to go with the character, he wanted to let everyone know that he appreciated them. And that's it's something that Vince would not let someone do, I don't think. Like, it, it seemed like something that would happen in AEW more likely than WWE, unless you're coming back from retirement, you know? Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I thought it was a great promo. Um, I don't like that we had the aftermath. Like, I don't like Bray versus the Demon Bray or whatever, because, like, how the fuck does that equate to a match? Was he going to wrestle himself? I, see, I'm thinking, man. Like, what would you rather have? Would you, if, if this Bray Wyatt six that's rumored, because that's his name on the internet, so everyone's assuming, and a lot of people within the industry, Dave Meltzer included, are saying that that's going to be his faction. 
Would you rather Bray with a bunch of people as a faction, or would you rather Bray, you know, kind of mixing it and having like a multiple personality disorder and kind of like being able to use any version of himself at any time? I mean, none of it. I think he just come. Well, I guess Mick Foley would be closer to what I would do, but he came back as such a big babyface. Just let him run as a fucking babyface. You don't. You'll need yeah. all the extracurricular around it. People love Bray. Like you can have him cut the crazy promos he does, like Raven or whatever. But you don't. You don't need all the. He doesn't need that at this point. The fans already love him. They love the mask, and he's almost became like CM Punk and legend to some extent because of the way he left the company and, and it was fired after being such a big character. Like I feel and like making them a lot of fucking money while they weren't allowing him to do what he wanted to do with the fiend. So, so like him coming back, like it doesn't like, I would just have Tom Savini create the most fucked up mask for him. He could wear and just have him do fucking matches as a baby face and, and do his crazy rambling promos on all the heels talk about taking down the bloodline that's what i would do with them um like this like inner like myself is trying to take over myself shit i would steer clear of this i i I just don't think it works in modern wrestling (laughs) i really don't and and and, uh i mean i i wish it did but i don't you know like if if you're like a 10 year old kid you're tuning into this and bray wyatt is wrestling bray wyatt no, do not do Taker versus Taker. If anything, if he... Okay, to go back to what you just said. If we're doing this thing where Bray is trying to incorporate different variations, we got the Fiend, we got the original Bray Wyatt with the Hawaiian shirt, you know, that man, the cult leader, which he kind of still was, if you will, but like, then you got the Firefly Funhouse sweater-wearing version. Then you have this new version, and he kind of picks them based on the opponent, but he's still a babyface. But if he's a fiend, he's not going to be like – he'll be more aggressive. I'm okay with that concept. You know, that's dealing with – it's not so mystical. It's dealing with like more of like a split personality within him, which he's kind of always reflected, you know? But – I don't really want to see a faction if if you're asking me. I I don't need that. I think we have two badass factions on both shows and we have a lot of three pieces. I don't know if we need Bray Wyatt with a bunch of other people. I mean, who are you even going to put with him? That's the other thing. Like who are you, who would you even put with Bray? <laughs> well, dude, the rumors. Like people are taking even Marie seriously cuz she's like acting like that on Twitter. I'm like, I don't care what the hell she's saying. I don't think she's a part of this thing. I don't think Alexa Bliss is going to be a part of this thing. They're trying to go back to, you know, how she was beforehand. I think they're trying to, like, get to that level. I don't want Liv Morgan in there. Um, Now, the rumor, which I was interested in, uh, at Monday Night Raw, which we're about to talk about, uh, both members of the kingdom were there. Uh, Vincent and the gentleman that we said reminded us a lot of of, uh, Big Bubba Rogers. I forgot what the gentleman's name is, but... Oh, from Ring of Honor. Yeah, I can't think of his name. He hit that but, big ass splash on that last pay-per-view. Yeah, between if him and Vincent maybe are part of it, that's interesting. But you can remain as like a three-piece. I don't know if I need like six people within this group. Like that's a lot. Well, I don't even know if you need if you bring in Vincent in, who's a great fucking worker. You could almost have him trying to court Bray back over to the dark side. Like uh, once again, Bray Wyatt to me. Coming back in, he should be a babyface. 
Me too. No, I agree with you. Like I said, if, even if, if he, he were to do it to Japan or something, or if he was going to AEW, maybe you could just have him run, do the heel fiend or whatever he would come up with. I'm sure he'd come up with something cool. Seems like a very creative guy, right? That um, Kabuki concept that he was going for. Which looked fucking awesome. Do that. Hey, <laughs> so, that's what I'm saying. If the <laughs> sixth thing is more of a multiple personality, I think it's got legs because he can still be babyface. Maybe even come out as Bray Wyatt, but can turn to a different persona based on who he's going against to cater towards their abilities, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I think, don't know. Book, booking wise, I just think WWE needs a baby face and they have one. They literally just brought in like one of the biggest pops they've had in a very Absolutely. long time. Like, why not just send that guy to the moon? Yeah, right? no, I agree like, with you. Because all you have like, left, you have Randy Orton, who's injured. Edge has got to be out, whatever. AJ Styles is now with the brothers, so it's different. And they're probably going to be feuding with. Yeah, you don't have a lot of babyface. You got Kevin Owens, you got Matt Riddle, Sami Zayn, kind of. That's about it. Yeah, I mean, like, for particularly your heavyweight champion, you got, like, Braun, I guess, is a babyface. Yeah. So for Which, things for Roman to run in, in through, it's going to be Braun, Sami. At some point, if they do, if they break it up before Mania, um, which I, I, I am starting to lean towards, that's going to be Usos versus Solo and Sammy uh, there. And then you have Cody, if he's able to, if he's able and ready to come back, which you would think would be the Seth rematch, right? Yeah. is supposedly coming in. But who do you have for Roman beforehand, right? Like, Bray is the perfect guy for that. And you could even take the title off of Roman and no one would be that mad about it uh, to set up the rock Roman match. And then you don't have to worry about the title. You have the rock beat Roman or whatever. And no one would be mad because the title's not on the line. So it, it, it's it, that, that we're getting now we're getting into the deep fantasy booking, but I, I would, I would All right. immediately push Bray coming back the way he came back as a big baby face. And so the wide six, this is the rumor that, and I mean, Dave even says in this, that this is rumors he's hearing. So it's not a hundred percent. But what he's hearing basically is that Joe Gacy as Huskus, the pig boy, Grayson Waller as mercy, the buzzard uh, returning. Eric Rowan would be rambling rabbit. And there will definitely be a female person. Then Bo Dallas would come back and he would be the fiend um, is the, the information that Dave's getting might happen for this. Wyatt six is Vince going to come back as devil Vince. I hope so. I hope they keep on doing that character. Actually, it would kind of be funny if triple H to have a puppet for triple H now. Instead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's such good shit. Uh. So no. yeah, and, and and Meltzer says that Alexa Bliss is definitely Alexa Bliss and Liv Morgan might be Sister Abigail. I just got to the second part. Yeah, so. I feel like Dave, I think feel like Dave, Dave Meltzer was just talking to me when I was really high outside of an IHOP. <laughs> like, so like, what, what I wanted to tell you, since you're really high and outside of an IHOP, is uh, my God, then my Dave Meltzer becomes more and more like Peter Griffin. <laughs> Peter Griffin. Yeah. Uh, but there, yeah, there, all right. 
there is no way they're doing that. I call complete bullshit on Dave Meltzer. They're not going to do a Wyatt six. It, it, they will go back to the puppet show before they do that. The puppet show is more over than having fucking Grayson Waller. Like I'll say this about Grayson Waller. He's not the best in the ring. You might as well try to like get him better because he's good at getting heat. Why the hell would you want him to be mercy? The buzzard. What? And we're also coming off the failure of like the T bar and J bar and J Bo and experiment of just throwing random people in masks. It's not gonna work. And yeah. as a person, I believe Triple H is smarter than that. So I'm just gonna say the the six or whatever they're talking which I get. I mean it's like a cult reference, whatever. Who gives a shit? I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> like and why why great, was Mercy the Buzzard? Why did he look like Baron Corbin from back, you know, five years ago? <laughs> That's not fair. He can't. He did. He had the fucking same goddamn shirt. <laughs> yeah, the, speaking of which, fucking, where is Baron Corbin? Where's he been? Where's my boy at? Is he hurt? I'm not sure, man. We haven't seen him for a minute, I'm, but. I've become a big fan of the old Baron Corbin. It, it took me well, you always put him over. We put his uh, put him over his in ring work, but you know what? Fuck it, I'm a Baron Corbin fan. <laughs> he's gonna do. He's gonna turn the corner like Sheamus. Like two years from now, people are like fucking that Baron Corbin. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let's get into some of the highlights of Raw real quick. And we'll go through some of these shows. Uh, Monday and Wednesday, man, excellent show. SmackDown was good, too. And I liked a lot of stuff about Rampage going into it. But I can't believe I'm able to compare a three-hour Monday Night Raw to Dynamite. I never thought that would happen, <laughs> ever. But last night, I know it was a season premiere. I know we had DX. But it was a fucking another Monday Night Raw where I'm not falling asleep by the third hour. And I'm trying to, like, keep myself up for whatever's happening. So I got a good kudos once again to Triple H for that. I, yeah, it's a little weird week for me as far as that goes, as far as like uh, watching it straight through because I was in I, I switched time zones. I went to Vegas. So like <laughs> while it was ending, it was like 2 a.m. Whatever. Jesus. The difference. I like I messaged you. I was like, I saw the main event in <laughs> in the DX stuff. Yeah, such, such a weird thing. So I went back and watched it after. So I, I got a lot of it cut out. I mean, it was like a two hour and 30 to 230, but it was a good show. Yeah, man. Started off with Corey Graves, you know, basically talking about the season premiere. He introduces Kevin Patrick, uh, who is now with him on Raw Commentary. And it starts with the bloodline. Um, Just fucking awesome. I mean. These guys are all over. Roman Reigns is over his shit. And guess who's the most over out of all of them? Sammy Sam. motherfucking Zane. <laughs> He's always been the most over. And the fact that they somehow have fucked him over for like the past seven years is. God damn it. <laughs> We're not Sammy, going, Sammy. Not <laughs> I'm just going to let you know. Stay on. There's some stuff that might be happening with Vince. You know, we know about this just. Just chill where you are. I promise we're gonna we're gonna change some things uh, going forward. Not to not to do the '80s like 
the white meat baby face, but that was Sami Zayn in NXT. He was the most over person that's ever been there as champion. Yeah. Bring him up. He has that match with John Cena. He's hurt, has the match with John Cena. Super over. He loses John Cena. They bring Kevin Owens up. They do the Kevin Owens spot with John Cena, which is fine. Right? It's getting Kevin over as a heel. They bring Sammy back, and it's just nothing. And it's been nothing yeah. for years. And they've they given this guy, like, the shittiest storylines. But he's so fucking good. <laughs> he's so good. <laughs> like, he just continues to elevate himself above booking status. Yeah, man. It's it's ridiculous. And some of this stuff, I don't know if it came off the top of his head. But it popped Roman Reigns one time where he had to, like, completely not look at the camera because he was laughing so hard. Uh, just having even Paul Heyman break character and crack up because he's so good at comedic delivery, man. It's ridiculous. Do you, do you think he's doing like the WCW WWF like corpse thing, like trying to corpse everyone else in the interview? Like, oh, like yeah, man. <laughs> Mr. Perfect used to do. <laughs> so basically it starts off with the Roman. Just, you know, I am the tribal chief. Acknowledge me. All that type of thing. He switched directions. Jay Uso and about problems that he's been having, uh, getting involved with, you know, with Logan Paul calling him out last Monday about is Jay really the uh, leader since he doesn't stop talking and he's always talking on behalf of you and Jay getting all riled up. And then, you know, we have him tell, um, you know, uh, Jay that, you know, he's, he's basically got some aggression issues and Sammy stops Roman. And even Paul Heyman was like, what are you doing? You can't interrupt the tribal chief. And then, like, Roman tells him to calm down. And Sammy was like, you told me that Jay was was my problem. He's like, why don't you let me handle this? And Roman's like, all right, go for it. So he's he's talking to Jay, and he says, you know, I just don't think – Jay is so – it's so funny because Jimmy, they are twins. But Jimmy is so good at looking happy and jovial, and Jay is so good at looking fucking pissed off. Like he's about just to like he's mugging in any segment. Jay is the best at meat mugging. That's definitely the guy at the bar you don't want to ask to move so you can order a drink. <laughs> sure. No, no. And dude, honestly, Jay, ever since the pandemic, man, has raised his stock of not just being Jimmy Uso's brother. Now he's just by himself as his own character. And he's done a great job in this role for a long time now. And, um, you know, he's like, well, what's, you know, your brother, like I just said, like, everyone loves Jimmy. Look at Jimmy. And Jimmy's like all like smiling and shit. And like, Jay's like, I want to fucking kill this guy and my brother right now. And he's like, you're just not being oozy enough and gets an oozy chant. When he says that, like I said, Roman Reigns kind of like looked like he was about to spit from laughing so hard out of nowhere. He had to like turn away and <laughs> he goes, he was like, he was like, you know, we're all, we're all cool. Jimmy's cool. You know, look at. Look at your younger brother. Uh, he's cool. You know, Roman, of course, he's cool. Uh, Paul's cool. And I love Paul going like, hey, I'm cool. You know, like kind of uh, like like he got acknowledged for it, but it was being sarcastic with, with, with uh, the fact that it was coming from Sammy. <laughs> and, and and he's like, he's like, you know, you, you just got to be like more like us. Like we're cool. And like he's like fucking just so mad. Like why do I have <laughs> just this dumb me. motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt Riddle comes out, the King of Bros, 
begs basically I, I didn't like this aspect begs for another shot the title even though he's lost like three times to roman and basically the last time he wasn't able to challenge roman while he had the title because like what, what's the point but since he's head of steam and he, he beat seth rollins he decides to ask again and the position because roman's like let me think about that hey you guys want me to face matt riddle in the main event for the title how about no and there's throws the mic down boo you know but then he's like all right well if you're not gonna do it what about one of your guys and of course jay kind of pushes sammy forward who's like talking shit next to roman to him and he's like he's like what about you well you know you don't have anything going on sammy blah 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 blah. why don't you like take out matt riddle on behalf of the tribal chief and so sammy's kind of hesitant he finally accepts it and this would kind of lead to a backstage moment where roman and solo sokoa Paul Heyman are about to hit the town in New York, and he basically says, Jay, or and Jimmy's living with them too. He's like, Jay, you guys stick staying around. He's like, You're not coming out with us tonight. You gotta make sure. <laughs> or no, Jimmy, that's right. Jimmy was gonna stay around too. But like, you gotta make sure you have to make sure that Sammy wins his match against Matt Riddle. And Jay's like, God damn it, like I can't go out. My little brother's going fucking with them. All of this was great, Chris. Uh besides Matt Riddle begging for another title shot. Everything else I thought was awesome with this. Is the bloodline the greatest? Is are they the greatest faction we've seen in the past like twenty years? Uh, honestly, man, and they're better, but like they're the best faction since Undisputed Era. Like it's, it's and they've exceeded that. That was probably the only thing that comparable in the last like ten years. And if we're not including the Shield because they're a trio, but I think I would say the bloodline exceeds that too. Yeah, they're fucking. Roman Reigns sucks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bet. Bet. <laughs> you are right, my child. This man beat cancer and speared Brock Lesnar. What do you want? <laughs> Lesnar's uh, Lesnar's also great, but no, Roman has been fucking money in this role, and this entire faction is great. And they continue. It's Paul. It's all Paul Heyman. I'm oh, gonna yeah. give all Paul Heyman. It, this is definitely a Paul Heyman thing, and it has been for a long time. And he's very protective over it, right? At and Roman's point. got this. I don't know, like this uh, Michael Corleone mixed with Kevin Nash type of personality. That's awesome. Like he has his aggression, but he's such a cool dude, and he's such like a. You know, he's, I, I've never seen Roman hitting on all cylinders like this. Like, fucking great. Yeah, it's very, not to throw it back to New Japan, but it is very much like Bullet Club when AJ was there as the yeah. leader. It is, it's cool. They're all cool dudes. No one wants to really boo them. I mean, they're going to boo them, but they don't really want to boo them. And Sammy is like the wild card. Sammy is the Kenny Omega of this situation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, it's great. Like I said, it just reminds me of Owen coming out with the with fucking Nation of Domination, man. It's like any other person you would not think a white dude would be able to join that group. But Owen just seemed fitting. And all the other members said that Mark Henry said that, you know, Ron Simmons has said that. And he's. Yeah, it, it's such a similar <laughs> energy, man, and I love it. I love Sammy; he's killing it. I wanted Sammy to show up in the Donnie Brook match, just and be like, "Stop calling a fucking Donnie Brook." British people don't even say Donnie Brook. 
start throwing shit. Three. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Sammy's been fucking great, man. Uh, this was a fun segment. Set up a pretty good match later on, but uh, yeah, dude, Sammy's on fire. He he always has been though. Like that's the most frustrating part is there's never a moment, regardless of whatever they gave Sammy to do, that he didn't do a good job of, job of what they asked. Right? It's the same thing with Kevin Owens. Like they should be two of the biggest stars in your company. No, um, I agree. It's taken this long. But now Triple H is back. He's like, you give me two of my aces? <laughs> like, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn about to get pushed to the moon. <laughs> so. Yep. Like, the what if Sami, what if Sami, like, they do the Mania match and, like, all of the bloodline's dead and Sami comes out and he fucking punt kicks Rock in the, right in the head. He hits him with a hell of a little kick. And that's the finish. Yep. <laughs> uh, I don't even know, man. <laughs> or if they're in elimination chamber and he has to fight Roman. <laughs> I mean, it definitely could happen, dude. I, I would love that. I want that interaction right now. <laughs> and I'm sure they're going to get to it because... We both me and you said Solo Sokoa, when he's ready to go, he should join the fucking bloodline and he's a part of the group immediately. And he looks awesome. He looks like a little fucking mini Samoa Joe. Just when we get to the SmackDown match, uh, the far away, he looked great in it. And I'm glad that it looks like him and Sheamus, him with the Usos and Sheamus with uh, the Brawling Brutes are going to have a interaction based on what happened last night in that far away. So good stuff. So what we're saying is we should make like a uh, a trios championship. <laughs> no, God <laughs> damn it! It worked out really good last time, Tate. Last time. It, it's dude. I mean, between New Japan and AEW, <laughs> like how many fucking titles can we have? You get a title. You get a title. <laughs> I was more talking about the CM Punk thing, but yeah, you're not. Oh wrong. yeah. Oh yeah. That's a good point let's, too. Let's start this title. Okay, never mind. <laughs> All right, so again. Gargano beat Theory. I don't know how I feel about that, honestly. This is one of the things. I don't know what's going on with Theory. I don't know if basically it was one of Triple H's kids before Vince really caught on to him. And I think that Vince had like a similar look to him that I would assume he might have to an MJF and just liked him. But now Triple H has, even though he has the fucking money in the bank, has him losing a lot lately. And I don't know if this is a story where he's going to have to come back from, but I don't know. It, I don't know if positioning him against Johnny right now was the smartest idea, period. Because both of them shouldn't so, lose. So I think it's the Miz run. So if you take Roman all the way to WrestleMania with the title, you have Rock beat Roman, and they have Theory sneak in and win the title. Biggest heel in the company. Right? I hope I it's like that. It, I I think it's always been like that. They're just waiting to pull the trigger on it. And and he is very much if you and I know a lot of people don't necessarily love the Miz, but it, this like his money in the bank like run, it's the same thing as the Miz. Like Miz lost every fucking match, right? <laughs> Leading up until he cashed the thing in. Um 
MJF is kind of doing the opposite, which I appreciate. Like, I think that's great. But yeah, like the, the what they're doing with theory is very much shades of MJF. Or not MJF, uh, sorry, Miz. Very much the same shades. If you look at like his run to win the title to go against both Cena and to go against Cena with Rock as a referee or whatever, it's it's kind of the same storyline. Yeah, no, it's definitely similar. So hopefully that's what they do. Um, I don't know. It just makes me nervous because I feel like all of a sudden they'll try to cash in and just lose that shit. Well, but, they're uh, going to have to do it soon because Theory's contract will be up. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, <laughs> he might just be like, nah, I'm good, and just leave. <laughs> like, no shit. All right, well, we had a really good match with Chad Gable and Rey Mysterio. Um and basically, Mysterio scored the win, but we had, you know, his son coming out and Finn Balor, Damian Priest, and Rhea Ripley. At one point, it looked like Ray was considering punching Rhea in the face because he won't hit his son, but he'll hit her instead until fucking, you know, Dominic came up behind and beat the shit out of him, told him that he hated him. And this is what projected Ray to just, you know, be so heartbroken that he went on SmackDown last night and asked Triple H to uh, allow him to quit, which we know WWE doesn't do that. And Triple H was like, no, 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 you'll go to SmackDown. It'll be fine. Besides, if not, you can fucking sit at home for fucking four years while your contract, you know, he didn't say that, but I'm just assuming <laughs> that was known. But uh, this was leads to conversation with Punk. You accidentally. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but so then we had the Judgment Day. They were out. We already kind of talked about this, but all of them doing great on the mic. Then we have Finn Balor saying, like you said, he ended Edge like a million times. Uh, lots this of booze. Uh, Dominic in super heat. And then Finn bringing the attention to Uncle Alan, AJ Styles. And AJ comes out by himself and. He basically tells Finn that, you know, he decided that he needed some brothers and like Finn takes that and hugs him as if he wants to be a part of the Judgment Day. But he then sits in his microphone while he's hugging Finn. I wasn't talking about you. And we have the good brothers now back in WWE. Gallows Anderson come out to the ring. Dominic starts, you know, talking shit to them immediately off the mic and fucking gallows just nails him in the face. Anderson grabs him, takes him to the corner, starts beating the shit out of him. Uh, Damian priest and gallows are going at it on the other corner. You have Rhea Ripley. Who's trying to break shit up and Finn Balor and AJ styles beating the crap out of each other. And judgment day eventually floods. And now we have the good brothers back with AJ styles. There is a very interesting wrinkle in all this, but I will get to that after we talk about this. Chris, what did you think about this presentation uh, with the Good Brothers joining AJ Styles against the Judgment Day? Well, you know, as a tag team that didn't do anything for Impact, I don't know why they were brought back into WWE. <laughs> well, we got the Kingdom as well uh, on AEW joining their ranks, so we're just loading tag teams on different platforms now. I, I'm not a fan of them, man. Like they, If they're with AJ, it works, but at now, in retrospect, if you're looking back at it, maybe AJ was the reason it worked. 
and AJ Styles is just that goddamn good, right? Like, uh, um, in they work in Japan, I guess. In, in the immortal words of Tom Waits, I'm big in Japan. Um, <laughs> maybe it just doesn't work in America for that tag team, but they're both great wrestlers. We'll see what happens. At least we have another tag team. So, what's interesting about this that you brought up Japan? Uh, Carl Anderson is actually the open weight champion over in New Japan. And apparently he's got a couple more dates to do with New Japan and he's going to finish them up before he finishes with AEW. Never had like a full-time contract with them. But the weirdest thing about this, we have Tony not too long ago talking about Moxley and wrestlers now will be working with his overseas partners or his international partners within AAA in New Japan. Well, New Japan took the clip that that uh, WWE post on their Twitter of the whole interaction and retweeted that. And that was on, I don't know if it was deleted. I, I didn't get a chance to go back and check the Twitter page, but it was there, them retweeting that. So I was like, that's kind of weird. You know, is, does, how does Tony feel about that whole entire concept with WWE being involved with New Japan? What do you think, Chris? I mean, it really doesn't matter what Tony feels about it, right? <laughs> I mean, you can feel one way or another. It, it's a separate company. They can do whatever the fuck they want. Um, I don't think Tony did them any, like, any good in the American market with that last pay-per-view. So there's that. I mean, like, if you go back and you look at, like, Okada and he's wearing, like, I'm not going to call it sweatpants, but, like, it looked like they just found a suit out of nowhere for Okada. One of the biggest, the greatest wrestlers that I've ever seen in my entire life. That's what you can get on him. Like, seriously, like, I don't know. So, like, if you're New Japan, now you have a, a expectation of what this is. And Triple H has, for a long time, WWE actually tried to buy New Japan at one point. Um, and I said this. To end AW when they were starting the wars or whatever, I was like, all you have to do is buy New Japan, or not buy New Japan, but book the New Japan deal. Like, have Roman versus Okada. Like, just take away all of the fuel. Don't give them the Wrestle Kingdom one night in America, one night in Japan type deal. Like, take it away. So, it is very interesting. Uh, I. <laughs> And maybe Triple H was cock-blocked by Vince. Who knows? But I don't know. You see Okada going against Roman? Pretty good. And not only that, if we are inevitably talking about a partnership, we can have AJ Styles and the Good Brothers go back over there. We could have Finn Balor show up with the Judgment Day or something like that. And... All that sounds good to me. I mean, Triple H can look at them and like look at your numbers for New Japan Strong, right? And look, look, look what we've done since bringing the UK people over here for NXT. We could do that with your wrestlers that are already big names and make this a bigger product. And 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 if I think if they're able to do that, if they're able to merge New Japan Strong into NXT, it it will end up being bigger than like. AEW Dynamite. 
if done well, it could easily it like because Naito versus like Braun Breaker. I'm watching that instead of NXT. Yeah, it's a interesting concept, but like I said, I don't know if that video clip is still on New Japan's Twitter, but I assume it is. I don't know if there was some legal shit that might have been interrupted by that, but I'm assuming it is, and that's kind of crazy regardless. Uh, Do you think Tony Khan knew what he was getting into when he entered the wrestling business? Because it seems a lot more hectic than the uh, European Football League or whatever. Or American Football League, I guess. (laughs) This poor guy looks like he's about to kill himself at every moment. Like, I really do feel for this guy because he's just a wrestling fan and wants to put on a good wrestling show. (laughs) It'd be like if me and you were billionaires and wanted to make a wrestling show. There's a lot of other things that come with it, <laughs> and I, I, I do feel for him because he does legitimately seem like he loves wrestling and every part of it. But the poor guy, dude, he's been put in the ring over the past six months. I'm not going to lie. Oh, dude, I also have to say Rhea Ripley with the fucking tribute to Beth, Beth uh, fucking armband. That was awesome. That was a great little touch. No, that's great. All right. Um. After this, we had like we already kind of talked about Bailey losing to Candice. That was a good match as well. Uh, we have then the Miz's birthday. Look, I know the Miz doesn't work for a lot of people, but when him and Maurice are there, for some reason, I just I can spend disbelief. You know, she bought him giant balls and a baseball bat. And he's definitely making <laughs> observations that involve his penis because of the fact that everyone has been screaming at him because they got this over that he has little balls. So Maurice AJ wanted to make sure that he had big balls. AJ Styles, the worst promo of all time, finally got something over <laughs> like yeah, little balls. So basically this breaks down to Dexter Loomis coming out, knocking Maurice into the cake and choking out the Miz on his birthdays. <laughs> and I don't know where we're going with this, but I'll keep on doing whatever. And then Omos beat, uh, some jobbers really quickly building up to this Braun Strowman and him having a confrontation thing. So there you go. Do you have anything to say about uh, the Miz's balls, Chris? you want to comment on them? I love fucking Maurice. I think they're great together when she's his manager. Um, I would, I would have pushed them way differently, even going over the past like two or three years going or going back to that Cena feud that they had where they were doing the fucking, making fun of the Bellas and stuff like that's great. Like there's a lot that you could do there. Uh, Miz is fine, man. Like he's, he is a very WWE ass wrestler. Yeah. I, I love the Miz. I think he's great. He's perfect at what he does basically. So uh, next we yeah. had our US champ. He, does it, he oh. does it very, he does it very well. And Maurice is a great manager and um, deserves, deserves to be called out. Cause she's really fucking good. Dane. Absolutely. She's great. Um, part of that package, for sure. And when they look in the back and Miz is all dazed and Maurice's hair is straight up in the fucking air because of the icing, they just, they both get it. They both get it. I'll just give them that. Um, and they're very 80s wrestlers in a not 80s wrestling world <laughs> to some extent. Yeah, I would agree with that. 
Uh, next, we had our U.S. champion. Well, at least at the time, Bobby Lashley came out. He was having, um, you know, just talking to the audience. And then out of nowhere, Brock Lesnar's music hits. We got Farmer Brock. All he needed was a G, like, since he had, like, the the uh, the, the vest, like, if, if you would have had a leather jacket underneath there with the vest, it would have looked uh, kind of like someone else. But anyways, Cowboy Brock comes out. And he goes, hey, Bobby. And then he gives him an F5, beats the shit out of him, a couple suplexes, another F5, and puts him in the uh, his his uh, hold uh, and just leaves him decimated. And then Seth Rollins comes out, and he's like, dude, don't even fucking try to get out of this. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I just had a ridiculous match, you know, two nights ago at Matt Riddle. He's like – you know, calling him out, and then he says something about, like, you know, you're supposed to be a soldier, and that's, that snaps Bobby. He's like, fuck it, I'm going to beat the shit out of this dude. Uh, they have a pretty good match, and Seth gets the advantage of it from Bobby being hurt previously from getting beat up by Brock Lesnar. Gets the win. Seth Rollins is your new U.S. champion. All right, so Lesnar's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but why <laughs> he just showed up out of nowhere we didn't have a conversation about it like we didn't have any teasers of like brock lesnar might be back they're like all right we're just gonna bring him back i guess just to, pop to, the audience i guess um <laughs> for the season premiere for a saudi arabia match with bobby lashley but but no interaction with dx which was the actual advertised thing right <laughs> like i want to see Brock Lesnar inter like talking to Shawn Michaels about hunting. They're both into that, right? <laughs> we none of that. So he just shows up, he beats Bobby Lashley's ass, and then Bobby Lashley drops the title. What did Lashley do to these people? Did he like <laughs> did he like shit on their grandma's like urn or something? Like what the hell happened here? Now I think Bobby Lashley and Seth will be a really good feud, but like goddamn. Well, you know, like I said, Lashley, Lesnar, looks like it's happening in Saudi Arabia. Um, they they had a really good match beforehand, so I'm I'm very curious. And Bobby beat Brock Lesnar, so we'll have to see what happens at this. I feel like Brock's probably going to go over though, and then maybe they put Bobby Lashley back in the world title picture. I'm not 100 percent sure, but. Uh, at least he, I guess Seth has gold. He, he drops. He he. Yeah, I was gonna say he drops the title on the same night though. That's like, I don't know. That's like kind of the when people talk about getting buried, like you get your ass beat, then you have a title match and get your ass beat again. Not ass beat really with Seth, but you you're drop. You got your ass beat, then you drop the title. Uh, I don't know if I would have done that with Bobby, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um. Riddle went against Zayn after this, and I love it because it was kind of Sami Zayn's fault. I've got to say it, because he kept on getting mad at Jay for trying to get involved with the match. And Jay's like, finally, he's like, fuck this. I'm not helping this motherfucker. He's got it. He's got it. And he kept on saying that to Jimmy. And we have a situation where Matt Riddle, you know, basically Jimmy could have helped out Sammy, but Jay stopped him and told him, no, 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 man. He said he got it. And uh, that would lead to him losing. And Jimmy's like, 
what the fuck, Jay? And he's like, dude, sorry, homeboy's got it. But that would not work out because we already talked about what happened on SmackDown, and Roman was not happy about that whole entire thing. So, but fun match. And then we had DX come out. It wasn't anything different, Chris, than I thought it was going to be. They all hit the whatever. Uh, it was nice seeing Road Dog get the audience say the badass Billy Gunn. People got mad at Corey. I thought he made a little joke that wasn't really that bad. He goes, he's somewhere else uh, using office supplies, I believe. You know, just referencing the scissors. Like, God damn it, people. Just shut the fuck out. It was a joke. Well, yeah, like, who cares? Like, you're lucky Billy Gunn got referenced. He's in another company. Uh, but, yeah, they just did their thing, and that was it. And it was fun. I want to see Sean Waltman in the match for WWE or somewhere <laughs> against, in the future. Against Rey Mysterio. Let's go. Hell, yeah. He's, he's been in fucking – he's been <laughs> wrestling a lot lately, so he's in great shape. You yeah. know, Rey Mysterio. Or he really wants to be part of the Royal Rumble. I'd love to see X-Pac come out. I think I'll get a huge pop. One of Sean Waltman's illegitimate children versus <laughs> Eddie Guerrero. Oh, my God. Uh, that's right. You can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. <laughs> so how did you like the match between Zane and Riddle? Jay's, uh, you know, uh, saying, fuck it. Like, let's let him do what he wants to do. And then the DX reading. How, how'd you like the end of uh, I thought, Raw? I thought, was, I thought it was great, but they also took a little bit from AEW with this one. Uh, with the stuff they're doing with Ring of Honor, where Sammy's like, no, I've got this. I don't need your help, because they tried to help him earlier in the match. And Jay's like, nah, he said he got it. <laughs> like, when he didn't need their help, he's like, he he bitched at me. He said, they got it. He, he's got it, right? And then gets pinned, and Jay's like, he didn't got it. He didn't have it. It was great. I, loved- I, li- I just love Jimmy like, dude, what the fuck? Why'd you stop me? And Jay's like, I don't know, man. He said he got it. Yeah, yeah, he got it. <laughs> yeah, like, because earlier in the match, they set up a spot on the turnbuckle where uh, the ref's distracted, and there's a huge kick, and Sammy grabs Jay and says, no, don't do that. I got this, right? <laughs> great storytelling. Fucking great. Everyone everyone involved in the bloodline is, like, so high tier for me <laughs> right now. They're so good. Uh, just good shit. A good raw man. Had a lot of fun with it. You know, good uh, season premiere. Uh, should we move on to Dynamite, Chris? Oh, we get to talk about Renee Paquette. Let's talk about Renee Paquette. She's so fucking cute, man. I like her. the best. She's, I'm so glad she's back. <laughs> she's she's stunning, but she's also just just a very smart smart woman. Great interviewer. I'm so ha- happy they have. Why why the Okay, someone said this. They had Shivani and her doing most of the interviews, and then out of nowhere, Officer Bar Brady was also on a couple of. It's like I'm not trying to be a fucking dick, but he's obviously not that good. He's still doing a lot of stuff within your company that's outside of interviewing. If you got Renee Parquet, all you need is her and fucking Tony. Like, no offense. I mean, to be a dick, that guy can fuck off and stay fucked off. <laughs> Mark Henry's also there to do the Friday night interview before the big main event. Yeah. You don't need four. And Renee should be 
if they're not going to do Tony for it, Renee should definitely be the person that does all of these back. Like, could you imagine her interactions with MJF? It'd be fucking great. Oh, yeah, dude. And, you know, Renee was probably taught by one of the greatest of all time and being Gene Okerlund. So she definitely knows her shit when it comes to uh, being an interviewer for wrestling. She didn't even come from that platform either. And and they should try to do like a talking smack thing with Renee like they did in WWE because she was really well for AEW. Because I would tune into that more than I'd go watch AEW Dart. Like if you tell me he's on there and like MJF showing up or Jericho showing up to talk to Renee. Dude, honestly, like put her and Brian Danielson back together. They were so good on it back in the day. That was the best version of that show was the two of them hosting. That's where you got that real interaction with the Miz where he went off, you know, put them together and have whoever on. I'd love that. Yeah, it's it's baffling out of everyone that WWE circulated out of announcer and other gimmick wise for all the various TV shows. The fact that they let her go is just insane to me insane to me like i get like you know her husband went to a different company and didn't resign but god damn you can't let talent like that go renee is fucking great she comes off like such a likable person not only to the talent but to the fans um i don't know that's it's just insane that aw was able to just scoop her up and be like we're gonna save you until we debut in canada because like you know that contract was done a long time ago but she got a huge pop in her hometown of Toronto, and she introduced Mr. Christian Cage, who shit came on, out. Shit on the Maple Leafs, which I love. Fuck the Maple Leafs. Tune this in is what he said. <laughs> vowed that Luchasaurus' victory over Jack Perry uh, in uh, the opening contest was as certain as the Maple Leafs losing in the playoffs in the first round. So, uh, yeah, getting that heat against a team that he actually loves. Because if you listen to Edge and Christian's podcast from back in the day, <laughs> he's definitely a fan. So <laughs> Christian's so willing to be the best heel he can, he'll even bury his own uh, fucking hockey team in, in Canada, in Toronto. In Canada, I love that that's all it takes. And America is like, yeah, the the your team sucks. That doesn't really work in America anymore. In Canada, if you say the Maple Leafs suck, like. Hey, out your ass. No, that, that's, that's New York. So. That, that's all he had to say. He was like, fuck the Maple Leafs, basically. <laughs> They're like, we hate this guy, <laughs> even though he's from here. The pop was like tremendous for the heel. <laughs> as soon as he said the first line or the first playoff loss thing I was like, God damn, dude, Christian, you're so good. Christian's so much better than Edge. <laughs> Correct. Uh, I don't know about that. I think they're going to need to kill. But, uh, well, I mean, Christian said better matches, so. That's true. Uh, I'll, I'll give you. Um, But, yeah, so we have a match, really good match with Luchasaurus and uh, Jungle Jack Perry, or Jungle Boy Jack Perry, because they can't leave that thing out. But I'm glad they're trying to put over that, since he's, you know, we don't want to think of him as a child when he's going into his fucking 20s. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you're, you're just. You you don't know his name. Well, shut the fuck up. No, he did know his name. He was trying to like get more out of Jungle Boy. Fucking moron. Future superstar, which now they're they're doing is like y'all bow down the motherfucking greatest. <laughs> Everyone pay attention to how good Jim Roth is. Yes, absolutely. Well, like I said, they had a really good uh, match. 
the spot with the table is fucking crazy. Sunset flip, powerbomb to Luchasaurus from Jungle Boy and nail perfectly through a table. I know a lot of people will be like, why was that not a DQ? Because he didn't hit him with a table, you know? He just put him through one. And fucking Jungle Boy didn't set it up. <laughs> had nothing to do with it. I could see this either or on that conversation. Um, but I will say this. They set the table out way further than it should have been. And Jungle Boy was like, oh, that table's way out far. And he leaped. <laughs> Yeah, and Luchasaurus also <laughs> leaped to make sure he would not fucking just go head first into the middle of it. Because um, I saw them set that table up. I was like, that's way too far out. I thought we were going to have a Matt Hardy situation, but neither of them, they're like, yup, yeet. <laughs> Apparently. Yep. Um, Jungle Boy would end up doing uh, Brian, or not Brian, Christian Cage's uh, kill switch onto Luchasaurus and apply the snare trap, but Luchasaurus escaped. Shortly after that, he gave him a choke slam from the top, and then the burning hammer for the win. And uh, yeah, this was, this was a good opener. The crowd was fucking into it, and I think we're still gonna be going with this whole entire thing going forward. But unless I'm forgetting something, I'm pretty sure Jungle Boy lost clean to Luchasaurus. So I don't know why they would do that no, exactly. No, Christian got on the apron. I agree with you, but Christian got on the apron. That kind of caused a distraction to lead to that burning hammer. Okay, okay, that's right. Right, but I mean, they're going to have to build this out for a while, and and we will see what happens because I heard that uh, Luchasaurus hurt his shoulder. That's why he did the left arm choke slam. That makes he, sense. He didn't use it like he was selling his right arm the entire time, but apparently he hurt actually did hurt his right arm and they just ran with it for the rest of that match. But um, yeah, hopefully he's not also going to be gone. Cause like, I don't know you would, would junk boy then if everyone is injured and the feud that he's in. Um, but yeah, like I don't, I, good match. Very fun. Um, I was, I was kind of shocked on how it, well, not sh- I, shocked is not the right word. I was surprised that Jungle Boy didn't win here uh, after hitting the uh, Christian's move, whatever the hell it's called. Something stupid. Kill switch. Dumb. It's, a, it's a dumb move. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always been a dumb move, Christian. Uh, the kill switch. It's a kill switch. I was like, well, that's the finish, right? Am I crazy on that? Like, when he hit it, I was like, okay, well, if he hit the other guy's finisher that's got to be the w well he had to be uh you know dumb because he's younger and decided to go for a submission instead of trying to pin him directly afterwards so get the snare trap on him that didn't work out you know luchasaurus got back up and ready and then distraction from christian and he chopped his ass down so luchasaurus do i love also when it was i think jungle boy maybe he was dealing with christian he was on the outside and then all of a sudden you saw Luchasaurus do the cane raise, the Michael Myers thing inside the ring. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so with with big guys like Luchasaurus, right, going forward, if you're trying to put over someone like Jungle Boy, don't you need Luchasaurus to be like a Brian Cage or a Lance Archer? That would probably be a good thing. Like – he needs to be another monster for to be a believable monster to some extent, I guess. 
Because right now, like the believable monster is Wardlow, right? But it's yeah. like it's like Hong and Godzilla. Eventually, you have to clash. Right? <laughs> well, I'm glad that you brought up Wardlow because our next match, you know, in with 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 terms at the uh, beginning of the last decade, like Benefer and Bradgelina, you know, couples. I love that we have one now in AEW with Warjo. That's the name of their tag team. No, I don't know why the fuck it's called that. I think it's kind of dumb. But since they don't have matches for either TV champion that they have on their fucking product, let's slam them together. And they had a match with QT Marshall. We came back from break. QT's, you know, talking shit to the fans. They're booing him. Uh, he's with Nick Camarado, and they go against Warjo, get destroyed. I really, I still like Nick Camarado. I think he has a great look. I don't know why he's still with QT, and I didn't know why he took the pin in this. That's my only problem with it. But, I mean, they pretty much destroyed him uh, pretty quickly. Uh, so, you know, afterwards, we have Prince Nana, the Gates of Agni, and Brian Cage uh, start beating them down. Uh, FTR came out. They cut a little bit of a promo and introduced the returning Sean Spears. And they ran, hit the ring, and basically drove off the other heels. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, pretty much it. Um, but Warjo defeated the factory. What did you think about all this, Chris? All right, so let me start with the Sean Spears stuff coming back to 10. They're like, Rampage at 10. And then he comes out. It's fucking lame. It was <laughs> like, a little cheesy. It was lame when it was in NXT, and it's lame now. I'm sorry. I'm look, dude. Sean Spears, great in-ring worker. The gimmick has always been terrible for that guy. So apologies. I will never be a, a Sean Spears fan. Um, Samoa Joe, he whipped wholesale ass in this match, as expected. I'm pretty sure that he he hit he hit this guy with a clothesline so hard. I'm I. I thought his soul left his body <laughs> so, <laughs> was a com- camarado <laughs> like right off the jesus <laughs> like, and i love that warlow looks pretty goddamn intense you know when he does not look intense when he's right next to samoa joe who yeah. has the biggest i'm gonna fucking murder your ass face out of any wrestler right now my god <laughs> If you're in a random situation and you have to fight one of those two, I'd be like, I'm just going to fight Wardlow, I guess. <laughs> All right, fuck it. I'll pick Wardlow. <laughs> like, Wardlow's younger. I don't, I don't care. I don't want to fucking get choked out. I don't want to die. It's still bad. I don't want this guy to, like, gouge my eyeballs out, which is Samojo's. I'm so glad that he is uh, back to some extent. Um, I hate Wardjo. And uh, I feel like it's Taz ribbing Samoa Joe to some extent with this name or something. Like Taz is like, ah, you guys are War Joe. <laughs> Fucking War Joe. Because you Why? know Samoa Joe has to hate that. <laughs> like, Yeah, I'm sure. Just like FTR probably was like, all right, let me get this straight, Tony. You want us to go out there and say it's going to be at 10? Yeah, because we're promoting Rampage. You know, ah! Okay, <laughs> all right. We'll make it as cheesy as possible. You got it, boss. What are we going to tag uh, title shots? Never mind. Okay, that's right. The uh, the rating system doesn't work anymore. Gotcha. All right, well. It's going to be heavy ca- carrying all that gold that they have, though. 
Um, <laughs> there is a lot of gold on FTR. Also, Toronto crowd for FTR. I should point this out. Biggest pop of the night. Oh, it. yeah, man. They love the protectors of Bret Hart <laughs> in classic wrestling, and it showed. <laughs> Absolutely. Those are Bret Hart's little southern boys, man. Um, all right, so next match we had Swerve Strickland and daddy-ass Billy Gunn. This was a good match, Chris. Um, <laughs> I I just love that, like, you know, Sting is, like, the same age as Billy Gunn, which is kind of crazy, right? Like, well, Sting is, like, a couple of years older. Billy Gunn's doing, like, leapfrogs and up-downs and shit in the ring. You're like, how? <laughs> I don't know, man. Swerve is great. Like, Swerve is the perfect opponent for someone like that. Like, Swerve versus Sting would be great. Um. So I'm I'm just the acknowledgement of how fucking good Billy Gunn is at 58 and a couple, like two or three years ago, he was in the, wasn't, didn't he have a match with Cody? I can't remember the, this is a new Japan thing. Was he, was he in the G one or did he have like a tournament match with Cody or something? I can't remember. And it was like, that match was better than I expected it to be. Because he's fucking awesome, man. He ages like fine wine. Exactly how I felt here. And it made like all of the DX stuff on Monday Night Raw look really terrible. Like outside of HBK, all those people looked really old in comparison to Billy. Uh, I would say HBK. I think Sean Waldman looks probably the best out of all of them. The other guys have gotten fucking like Sean. I'm sorry, man. Like it's gotten to the point where both of his eyes are hitting the corners of his fucking like, well, I have no idea what's going on. They're like doing twirly twirls and shit. He can't help that. That's a that's a physical disability. <laughs> but shape wise, <laughs> well, he shouldn't have. What what happened exactly? He got his uh orbital uh, bone broken. Orbital broken by Chris on accident. Yeah, and it it's happened to other wrestlers too. And I was like, God, at least hopefully modern technology <laughs> you can fix that. So. Does he see out of one of his eyes like the view is just the floor or something like that? Like when he's looking at someone? I don't know. It, it reminds me of that guy from the Water Boys, like Homeway you make it. Or my <laughs> <laughs> homeway you make it. Yeah, we're not gonna go into that whole entire rundown. Goddamn boy. <laughs> uh but yeah, Swerve obviously did a roll up. He held the fucking Ropes. I like the added element that Anthony Bowens was like so close. He knocked his hand off, but it was after the pin already happened. Swerve smiled at him like, "You son of a bitch." And last night on Rampage, you know they had an interview with Swerve Strickland and um, Keith Lee, and basically like Swerve was called out. He's like, "You gotta do what you gotta do." Basically, he's like, "I'm not worried about daddy ass and whatever." He's like, "We need to get our titles back. We need to build it." And Keith Lee was like. I don't know if you think that we were, you know, on the same level, but you're doing shit that I would never do. He's like, I don't cheat. He's like, I beat people by beating people. You got to reevaluate yourself. So I think we're going to end that. Swerve's going to become a heel full time, probably have a back and forth again with Keith Lee. And Keith Lee's going to end up pivoting the baby face, which I think is a smart thing to do because we got a lot of tag teams and they're both great in singles. My whole thing is. Swerve is one of the best, like with finesse. I think now I've been saying that for a long time. I just want to match eventually with him and Kenny Omega. I think it would be awesome. 
I'm sure Kenny wants that match too, right? <laughs> they could do some crazy shit, like Matrix level crap together. Kenny's like, you know the crazy shit I could do is, but also with Keith Lee at the same time, he's like, do you know what I could do with Keith Lee? Right. Yep. Oh, how do you like uh, Oh Scissor Me Daddy to the tune of White Stripes uh, Seven Nation Army <laughs> from the audience in Canada? Oh, Scissor Me Daddy. Yeah. Um, pretty good. Uh, now, I will say this. The entire setup for this is bullshit because the finish is Daddy Ass hit a Famouser on the outside of the ring on Swerve with no interference on their side. To get the win for the titles. So if Good you're point. if you're a constant fan of this, and and Keith Lee even a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week or the week before, like walked up to him and was like, "Y'all cheated," <laughs> basically as the chaotic good in this situation. He's like, "Y'all cheated. <laughs> like we didn't cheat. Like we could have cheated, <laughs> but you did." Yeah, exactly. That's a good and point. Swerve, and Swerve cheated again, you know, to get this win. And comes to Keith Lee. He's like, you cheated, though. <laughs> like, they don't even. To me, that says like a Ring of Honor thing for Keith Lee. He was like, there's no honor in these motherfuckers. <laughs> like, Keith Lee. Wouldn't that be great if Keith Lee in his, his Frasier Crane like voice, if you said, there's no honor in you hoes to all of them? <laughs> No honor among these. No honor in you hoes. <laughs> just looks. Like oh my god, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, that that's fine with me. Uh, also, after the match, Sterling, Smart Mark Sterling came out and basically said that he has trademarked Scissor Me for pro wrestling, so they're not allowed to do it. They can if they want to, but he'll take them to court basically. So that's a nice added wrinkle, I guess. So Alvarez pointed this out. I didn't. Even put two and two together but uh there, there there's a female wrestler on nxt that is buying chase U, not the chase U, the university but the land that they live on it's kind of very similar you can't you can't just copyright something that's already existing for like months you can't be like i'm the guy that's going to copyright it if you're not a part of it yeah, I don't know what it's going to do for Josh Woods and uh they're going to lose and they're probably going to lose like I'm I'm assuming they're going to put the titles on the line uh and they're going to put the licensing on the line for Scissor Me and that will be a match and they'll beat them. So I got whatever. I guess the storyline to use the acclaim right now. Right. I mean, it's just setting up like what titles versus gimmick licensing, I guess. This is this is a longer about way to have Daddy Ass hit uh, Famouser on Mark Sterling. Exactly, and we all want that. Um, MJF came and uh, he cut a really great semi babyface promo. He's talking about not being uh, yeah. weird. Yeah, it was a very babyface promo, especially when he's like, you got two strikes when he's talking to Stokely Hathaway. He's like, two strikes. Yeah, and, but even before that, how he's saying that he's not happy with himself and he always has to be the villain, but that's what it takes to be a world champion. And he'll do whatever it takes to be like it was heelish. But it came off very babyface. And yeah, and then with Stokely telling him, you got two strikes, man, you fucked up. I didn't need your help. Basically, like, quit acting like we're buddies because 
This is all about professional. Like, I don't know. Is this all a swerve, Chris? Is MJF going to build us up like he's about to turn babyface and then fuck something over or screw something up and then we're going to hate him? So we'll talk about so. his presence during the John Moxley, Adam Page promo because all he had to do was sit there and it went to him instead of either babyface in the ring. So you got to be very careful with this or it'd be the John Cena, Roman Reigns uh, rock thing where you have to make the decision. You got to turn him, right? Um, yeah. It's over. The crowd doesn't care. Like, I I know <laughs> I know the crowd wants everyone to hate MJF. Uh, but it's not that. Like, find the next guy to screw over MJF when he tries to cash in, and that's your heel, right? <laughs> like, the, like, the Samoa Joe that comes out of nowhere and chokes this motherfucker out <laughs> when he tries to cash in the thing. That's your heel, right, going forward. But, uh, yeah, this is a very babyface promo. I thought it was very good on MGF. Uh, there was a lot of really good babyface promo. Well, two really good babyface promos on this. Um, well, next, we have John Moxley coming out for his promo, and he starts oh, talking well, about with MJF specifically being like, I hate myself. I hate walking through a curtain, but winning the title is the most important thing to me. And if I have to be that guy, I have to be that guy. I broke my hand punching a mirror because I look at myself and I hate myself. It's, it's so good, dude. Yeah. MJF is like different level of promo right now. Oh, yeah. Everyone else. Oh yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Anyway. So Moxley comes out. We have, it known that MJF comes out of his skybox from watching it and decides to sit with his uh, little chip that we know that at some point he's going to cash in. We just don't know when. Um, but Moxie was breaking down everything and how he's basically going to beat Adam Page. Uh, at one point he says, being the world champion is a dirty, dirty job and you've got to be ruthless. Kind of adhering to what MJF was saying ahead of time. And then we have the cowboy come out fucking full of steam, pissed off, and starts just running down uh, John Moxley. Basically, full, his bone of contention. Full of the most, like, if Seth Rollins was a cowboy swag, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But uh, he said, last week you shattered uh, all illusions I have about you when you called me a nice kid. Am I a nice kid to you? It kind of was like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. Am I a clown? I'm a clown to you? Like, oh, you got I, pissed. Like, I'm fucking funny. Like a clown? Does it make you, you laugh? I'm fucking, you think, do I make you laugh? No, I'm just saying that you're funny. <laughs> How oh, the fuck you, am I funny? You're saying I'm gay. <laughs> I, uh, I, I found an awesome version of that with uh, Goofy doing the voice of Joe Pesci and Mickey doing the voice of Ray Liotta, and he calls him Goofy, and he's like, How the fuck am I Goofy? Are you fucking saying like it's hilarious? Go find it on my page. I'm saying you're fucking goofy. <laughs> oh, no, that's not what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Uh, anyways, you um, wear, you wear pants. That's weird for a dog. Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. and then Donald doesn't wear pants at all. He doesn't have a dick. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I guess Donald was De Niro, which makes a lot of sense in that movie. Uh, anyways, so last week, uh, yeah, he said basically, you know, call me a kid, and he's like, he's like punching himself in the fucking face like i'm a man i'm a man he was really trying to let us know that he was a man so that's it but he got over and he got cowboy shit shortly after that 
MJF doesn't do anything. They start cheering for MJF. And Paige took it and actually ran with it in a good direction. He goes, unlike that guy, and starts talking to him. But, you know, uh, unlike him, I wanted to make sure I could come out here and tell you face-to-face, man-to-man, and just throws the fucking mic in his chest. And Moxley was, like, impressed. That, that That's the face he was giving off. Like, well, shit, I didn't know this motherfucker had this fire, but uh, thought this was awesome. Great. <laughs> I didn't know you have these balls. I'm not used to this amount of balls and from a man with tassels on his jeans. Did not expect that. Um, no, it's bad. It's a badass promo. Like a really good, almost like a 80s, like 70s, 80s babyface promo, right? He's like, I'm a man. He's like yelling at Moxley and shit. Moxley passing him the mic was also great. Like he's like, give me the mic. And Mox is like, what is this motherfucker about to say? He gets the mic and he goes into this like really great. He's like, I'm a tag team champion. I'm a former heavyweight champion. Like he builds his legacy, which should be talked about. And this is uh, and I think Brian Alvarez uh, pointed this out and I, I can't take credit for it. This is the first time we've had a baby face versus a baby face where they didn't just run each other down. Right. Like, yeah, like this is the first one where it's like there's mutual respect there. So that to me is a better fight. Like it's like when Fury fights Wilder, like there's there's respect there to the point where, you know, uh, Tyson Fury is beaten Wilder. Right. Like. But when they asked him, it's like, who's left to fight? He's like Wilder if he wants to do it again, because like, he knows that's his opponent. It was kind of that mutual respect kind of thing where you're like, God damn, that was great. I loved every second of this. And I did love texting you in all caps. I'm a man. <laughs> I'm a man. <laughs> this guy did beat himself in the head to get a blood stain to put on Moxley's chest. And Moxley's like, all right, <laughs> I know what kind of match we're going to have. <laughs> Um, yeah, at the at the end, end it seemed like he was like, okay, motherfucker, like okay, but he was impressed for most of it. <laughs> the gears are spinning in Moxley's head. He's like, well, maybe we'll get a barbed wire table out here. <laughs> oh God, don't gear, don't spin those gears, Mox. Jesus Christ. Uh, anyways, um, next next up we had the Ring of Honor World Championship. Brian Danielson, Chris Jericho. This is the third match between the two. They both have a win. For the title, they had an awesome match. I mean, it's pretty much we're we're, we're going with uh, Jericho uh, being the Lionheart version of himself, coming out to his old ECW theme from Rob Zombie, and the, the, uh, the striper pants killed me. Like the band Striper, he's a huge fan. To hell with the devil from the '80s, like the Christian throw Bibles at people church metal band. That was his tights. <laughs> it's so weird. Like under oath, man, being a hardcore Christian rock band. Um, but, you know, whatever works for you guys for lyrics, but it just I mean, the to, sound of it doesn't sound very Christian. Yeah, I mean, to to hell with the devil is a pretty good ass song. I'm just saying, but like it was just funny seeing Jericho be like, oh yeah, I like stripers, suck it, nerds. <laughs> but he came out, man, in his his yellow outfit you know 
like you said, basically a little tribute thing, but same ones that he would wear back in the day once again. And him and Brian Danielson had a great match. We would all get to a ref spot where Jericho or one of them got, I know that's right. Uh, what Jericho sent Danielson to the ref ref gets knocked out, Paul Turner. And I fucking called this. I thought this was all a ruse and I was right. Daniel Garcia comes out. We don't, you know, well, actually, no, I think most people assumed that he was going to fucking nail Jericho because he's team with uh, Brian Danielson went against them. You know, but no, he takes his pure title and nails Brian Danielson with it, helping Jericho get the win. And people, the Boobers were out. They were cheering for Jericho. He's a Canadian hero. I know that he was born in New York City, but I mean, he's Canadian, just like his fucking dad, his family. So they were cheering for him. And Daniel Garcia did a good job. He, you know, he doesn't have the most charisma, but facial wise, it's great that when he was babyface or he was heading that direction, you believed it. But he's healed. It's not like he, his face really changes anything. But now you just want to punch him because he fucked over Brian Danielson. He's he's a, He claims to be a dreaded sports entertainer. But we'll get back to that next part when we cover Rampage when they came out and talked. But, yeah, man. Um, Claudio hit the ring afterwards. And the Jericho Appreciation Society uh, all embraced uh, after they ran away on the ramp. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting, man. So, with Brian Danielson specifically, do you think this is just a, can- a Canada thing, or do you think Jericho is just going to get cheered over Brian Danielson at this point? I think it's Canadian thing because he gets he gets booed a lot sometimes. But uh, then again, usually he insults the audience, and that's why they start booing. Because, like, right before Brian Danielson even left WWE, uh, in, in in that three-way match with Roman, like, you already kind of started hearing it, right? Um, and that's nothing – like, he can't even do the yes thing. There's – is he limited as a character is what I'm getting at versus, like, you know, like – a Moxley or a Jericho can spin their stuff because Brian Danielson's just been the wrestler wrestler. That's the, the crisp and wah, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I, I, Chris, I agree with you. And I think that not when he first came in, but shortly after that, before he got with the black, uh, the, uh, combat club, the Blackpool combat club, he switched heel and he was actually, Really good. I forgot who he was feuding with at the time, but he's a really fucking good heel. Like, I feel like they should have stayed with that instead of him joining the Blackpool Combat Club. So they had more members to go against Jericho's group that technically he's still feuding with and kind of became a baby face again out of nowhere. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of one of those weird ass, though, like with him specifically as a person. In general, which you want to relate to the babyface, right? Like I, Kevin Owens, like a normal person can relate to that. He's a big guy. He's moving around the ring. He's doing it for his family, whatever. Dusty Rhodes is is the perfect example. Son of a plumber, maybe if you will. Um, with Brian Danielson, his his life, and he's a great he's a great guy, right? Um, but like being vegan and having very set rules about his diet and uh, 
it does almost always come off heelish once you take away the yes, and they've taken away the yes from him, essentially, and then had him have a heel run to move to in. Move in. So Moxley is Moxley is a bigger deal because Moxley is like I'm the drunk redneck at every bar you've ever seen, and I will go fight that guy for you. <laughs> He's like, guy, look at you, funny. I got him. That's Moxley's character. So, so well, I, I was just gonna say, like, so I think the best way to do this, we have to get through this whole thing with Jericho, obviously. But maybe Brian should start being, I don't know, maybe annoyed that it seems like he doesn't have everyone, like, they, they don't help him as much. I don't know where they can go with this, but he always is left for getting attacked by the uh, Jericho Appreciation Society. And finally, after he's already getting annihilated, they finally come out or they're cheating and he's getting screwed over because of it. What I'm saying is they can subtly kind of implement the fact that Brian Danielson's not happy with the Blackpool Combat Club and just pull a fucking, like, uh, a bash to the beach, if you will, in small dose. Like, Danielson, like, you could even fuck, it's been so long, you could actually do that scenario where you have John and freaking Claudio, they're tagging against whatever heel tag team, and it or it's three dudes or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then fucking Daniel uh, Brian Danielson hits the ring. Where have, where the hell has this guy been? And you think he's going to tag, obviously, with the Blackpool Combat Club. And he's actually there to help out the heels. And he beats the shit out of them. Because he's such a good baby face. But I think that he's a better as a heel. And he's not. Like, you're right. He's not getting as uh, over as he was as a baby face. Yeah, I mean, from the initial comeback, right? And Kenny, was, Kenny Omega was there. And being a very shit bag. Don Callis helped that a lot, um, but yeah, like yes, he did. Like the and Brian Danielson's gonna have fucking Brian Danielson's match. They're gonna be fucking great, right? <laughs> They're gonna be really good. Um, but the crowd is not responding the same way the first night he returned. Um, so it's one of those diminishing return things. Now, I would almost go opposite of you with this. Uh, where I would have Hangman win the belt off of <laughs> off of Moxley, and then set up another tournament, you know, to find the number one contender, and then set up like Moxley versus, you know, Brian Danielson, and everyone turn on him, so that he has to climb climb that ladder through like Yuta and uh, and Moxley to get to Hangman. That could be something that they could do for sure. Because I just think they need they need something different. He's one of the biggest fucking people they have. Yeah, he either needs to be like the super badass heel that he can be, or the underdog. And the underdog thing right now is not like him versus the Jericho Appreciation Society is not the underdog thing, right? Like it would have to be. It has to. It has to build to something. Um. I agree. It's going to take more. And and I hate the underdog storyline because it is all built off Brian Danielson to begin with in WWE. I hate it. It's never been good in wrestling except for when he did it, which is mostly the crowd just letting 
WWE know so loud every match that like put this guy over, goddammit, or we will stop coming to your events. Yeah. I agree with you. You know, we were talking about it's kind of like I was thinking about this in my head the other day. We were talking about who can go against Ricky Steamboat with Jay Lethal and Brock Anderson against him and FTR for his final match on November 28th. Dragon versus Dragon would be pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I'm sure Steamboat looks at recent Brian Danielson work and he's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I, I don't want to get stretched. Fuck that. He's like, I'm not trying to get stretched and I'm not trying to get my head kicked off. Nah, I'm good. Honestly, Jericho makes the most sense because he's already retired him. But we'll we'll find out what happens. I mean, I think Alvarez pointed this out. Like, dude, out, like Danielson's been pretty fucking stiff coming back. <laughs> he has been. Into AEW. Because, I mean, everyone's trying to kind of work that, like, strong style. But, like, yeah, if I'm Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, I'm looking, like, I'm like, what's the Miz doing? Like, you know, I just want to have a good match, but, like, not also get hurt since I'm almost 70. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, it's crazy. Kenny Omega would be a good choice for that. Yeah. That would could you imagine the Jim Cornette podcast after that is like so anyways Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus Kenny Omega. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, it would basically be us giving him a loaded gun, be like go sit sit in a room by yourself for a while, bud. Just have fun, enjoy yourself right now. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, next match, Tony Storm and Hakuto Shida, Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter. Good match. Uh, I like the element that Tony Storm, you know, they were trading those roll-ups, and she finally got Britt Baker, putting her a little bit, uh, you know, basically uh, humbling her is what I was looking for, Chris. So, but these four ladies, I know that Tony and uh, Hakuro are going to have a match next week. Um, but they were a really good tag team. I like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand why we're having all these tag matches, though. Kitty. There's no, there's no tag division. Why are we having tag matches? Well, you know what I think, then? They're, they're doing it for a reason, so we can have now more titles on the line at AEW. We'll talk about also, the last match. Uh, also, Hater was the most over person in this match, which is still yep. hilarious. Um, which may be why Britt took the pin, so she can blame it on Hater, you know, to build that feud out. Because that, that is their money feud right now. Um, I would agree with you. And Tony Jamie Hater actually saved... Bert. I was going to say, Jamie Hater actually saved Britt Baker in that match beforehand. She got a Storm Zero done against her. And Jamie Hader like broke it up right at the last minute, and then still Britt Baker lost. Yeah, I mean that's the storyline, but the problem is, is like they're not in the title picture at all, <laughs> right? Um, but that it sh- it should have been. They should have pulled the trigger on that. They should have just had either, you know, they should have had a f- 
they did the fuck over finish to build that, but then they Jamie Hader just came out and like, nah, we're still friends, kind of thing, which is whatever. I mean, everyone wants to see Jamie Hader versus Burt Baker, right? Am I am I crazy on this? Am I the only person that's like that's the <laughs> no? And honestly, not working. You could, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the reason why they didn't pull the trigger when we think they should have is because they were doing the same thing with MJF and Wardlow and pulled it on Wardlow. So maybe they were trying, I guess, to space it out a little bit more because it would have been kind of weird. Not that AEW is not known for doing things exactly the same back to back, but it would have been weird if all of a sudden both storylines played out around the same time. Yeah. uh, Yeah. No, you're probably right. I, but I would just think like, it's a very thin women's division. If you have someone that's like actually getting cheered, push it. And WWE had to do the same thing with Becky, right? Like, yep. There's a lot of injuries. Let's push her. Let's make this a big thing. Right. And, and had big WrestleMania. I, I just don't understand. And then they like bitch about the women's division. It's like, well, yeah, if you book it bad, <laughs> like, there, there's great female wrestlers on the AEW roster. I mean, there's some very bad ones as well. But the crowd is letting you know what should have happened from the last pay per view. So hopefully they correct that. Because like what I, like what I predicted and what I think the crowd wanted was Hater to win that fucking title and go against Britt. That's what they want. Doesn't like the crowd has. N- absolutely zero respect for Tony Storm. Like, yeah, she might as well not even be there because once she's an interim champ, so she didn't actually beat the champ for the title. She so beat the, someone else in a tournament for the substitute who got, title who got screwed by her friend. So she didn't want it clean. <laughs> All right. Here, here's a question. <laughs> She can still go babyface based on this, but do you think it's actually going to be Jamie Hayter that says you're not doing shit for me to Britt Baker instead of the opposite? Yeah, I always thought Hayter would end up being the babyface in this situation just because Britt works better as a Well, hater. but I think that me and you both were thinking about the concept of Britt Baker saying, fuck you, Jamie, you're out of here and screwing her over like a heel. But is there a possibility that Jamie Hayter could be like, screw you, Britt, like, you know, I I always help you win or and you can't ever win a tag match with me or help me win like fuck off you're not helping me out anymore. Yeah, that's a shade of great thing though because I guess that depends on which side of the fence you fall on cuz I would still be like Jamie Hater's not wrong. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. that's it's the thing. <laughs> and then Brick can do something devious to her, maybe like I don't know, pulmonize her neck or some shit take her out for a couple weeks and finally get a heel reaction since she always gets a baby face pop. Maybe Hater can come out and cut one of those famous Britt Baker promos where she's like, well, I'll just wait a couple weeks and you'll be injured and it won't matter anyways. And then she can do Hater. <laughs> Sorry that I'm a Hater. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't, like that. wouldn't that be amazing if Jamie Hater came out and did that though, called her out like, yeah, you you call everyone else like the sandbag thing. If Jamie Hater's like, I don't know, maybe I'll wait six months and we'll have a match. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> could be ruthless. 
All right, so the, 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 the final match, the main event, All-Eric Championship, Orange Cassidy, Pac. I'm going to put over uh, Orange Cassidy. He looks in great shape. He looks like he actually put on even more muscle. And uh, these guys really work well together. Um, Pac's been showing some pretty heel tendencies as of lately. So I'm glad that Cassidy finally caught his ass. I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping Cassidy does the same thing that, you know, uh, Pac was doing. Because Pac was taking that title and defending it in Japan and the UK and here and there. Because it's supposed to be, well, even though it's also the Atlantic, but whatever. Uh, it's supposed to be, or it's they, they do it in the, the Pacific, I mean. Um, it's supposed to be, you know, a traveling championship. They have great fucking chemistry, man. They really do. I thought that Orange Cassidy looked really good in this. And now he's a championship, and I'm very happy for him. I hope he actually holds this for a while um, and do some cool shit with him. But he looked extremely happy to have gold in his hand. I don't know how much gold he's had in the, in the past being kind of like this this concept uh, for his character, you know. But Pac was the one, I feel like, Chris, that was able to play off of Orange Cassidy so it wasn't like this stupid shtick. It was Cassidy was being a fucking overzealous dick and trying to taunt him and piss him off. And Pac, you know, would always immediately go after him. So I love their interaction. I hope they have another match. And I'm glad Orange Cassidy has some gold. I am as well. I It's a little weird with Pac being part of a good guy trios tag team. Dark Triangle, right? Yeah. Uh, doing Hill stuff, which I guess we just for because there's too many fucking titles. And I'm not going to give them too much heat on like the trios titles would have been way better if it was Kenny and the Young Bucks. And obviously that's what they were building around. But Pat, who the fuck is the trios champions? I forgot. The bastard Pac and fucking the Lucha. <laughs> I forgot. <Dark> Triangle. <laughs> Dark. That's what I'm saying. Is like that's a baby face team. <laughs> like they might as well have gave it to the Butcher, the Bunny, and the Blade <laughs> to some extent. If you want like, I mean, not to be a dick, but like, so he's doing all this heel shit. Like, what does he do when he goes back and talks to Ray Phoenix, who is like the most baby face of baby faces of all time? He's like the Ray Mysterio, basically. <laughs> Why'd you hit him with a hammer? I don't know. <laughs> Keep that belt. Are you going to do that in our matches? Because he had a splitting headache. Some shit like that. <laughs> well, I mean, at least have that interaction, right? Because they're teaming with this cat. <laughs> I think it's going to happen. I, I'm, I'm assuming next week, Penta and, and, and Ray are going to be like, dude, you lost him. What the fuck have you been doing? Maybe he'll be the reason why they lose or something, and then we'll get some matches between, I guess, Pac and the two of them. I don't know. Maybe maybe we're about to see someone introduced to hang out with Pac and be a heel uh, little thing. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Um, <laughs> it'd be really great <laughs> if Enzo Amore shows up and he's the tag partner of Pac. Oh, God. After. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did, didn't he have to put over Enzo? They they wrestled back and forth for that Cruiserweight Championship for a long time and had really yeah. good matches together. And I think Enzo beat him inevitably, and then Pac yeah. left shortly after that, right? Yeah, he was like, 
I want to go back home. And they were like, we're not going to give you time off. And he was like, all right, well, fuck you, fire me. And they, they, they fired him. And Enzo's like, great. <laughs> I love working Tony Nese. Sorry. <laughs> but it was one of those. And then the cruiserweight division just took a fucking nosedive after that. <laughs> like, we were talking about this. You guys yeah. back and check out our previous podcast. They're available on Spotify. <laughs> Stitcher, etc. But like, it's kind of the perfect like Orange Cassidy versus like Enzo is a great <laughs> like. Isn't that like just a match made in heaven? Really? Yeah. Because Orange is gonna do all the work, right? Because he's great in the ring. That's the thing. Like the thing about Orange Cassidy, like if you hate the gimmick or whatever, he is really great at working today's current wrestling style. He's really fucking good at it. Yeah, and he's I think he's learning uh more how to sell for longer periods of time. He's really incorporating, you know, some more old school wrestling traits. I don't think people give him uh, enough credit, honestly, on that factor. Yeah, and the Will Ospreay match was like kind of the the breakout moment for him, really, right? Yeah, that was a good match. Him and Jericho to me was the breakout, not the the weird orange juice. The one right before that. <laughs> one before that, I was like, yeah, like he's he's. A, I always knew he was kind of like really good in the ring because he moves really well. Like he moves better than Jungle Jack Perry, like in the ring bouncing off the ropes and stuff. Like you you know the guy can move. You either like the gimmick or you don't like the gimmick. That's the the caveat to it. Now he can tear he at some point he could turn that to heel and he goes to do the pocket reach and just doesn't do it. And the crowd's like boo and then he just wrestles straight, right? Yeah. But he's saving that. <laughs> it's in his back pocket. Has uh but yeah, like I I don't know, man. Ooh, like, so uh, the fact that this is, you know, a traveling championship across whatever, even though it's supposed to be Atlantic um, and Japan's in the Pacific. Do you think this is something that we could clash uh, Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy again over? Um, oh, for like, sure. You could, you could do that. You could do that second match. But Osprey's lined up for the title, though. That's the only problem. Is Osprey is like lined up for the actual New Japan title. Mm, that's Heavy a good point. Title. So, like, I don't. I'm looking forward to that, dude. Russell Kingdom is going to be awesome. I love that they're attributing Antonio Noki and Okada and Jay White. Do you think that? Do you think the G1 winner? You know, I love the pictures of him and Jay White. Uh, first a picture of them two next to each other. Okada holding the G1 giant fucking weird ass trophy that they have, and then White with the title. And then the press conference. Okada sitting, and Jay White's flicking the fuck off and taking a picture real quick, so Okada can't see. Um, is Okada going to be at Wrestle Kingdom again, winning the title from Jay White? What do you think is going to happen with that? A little separate I, New Japan question. Yeah, I, I hope not. I would, I would think you would want to keep it on Jay White for a while, just because of how much that belt means. Mo- moving into all their pay per views, they do a good job of like protecting their champions. Um, what I would think would happen, and if AEW is smart. And I've, I've said this before, you're going to have a AEW versus New Japan night in the Tokyo Dome, right? 
Yeah. Like three days for this. So Okada has to go through a grueling ass match with like a Moxley or a Hangman or something. So he's beat down going into his title match. Yeah, that could definitely make sense. But I mean, I'm not going to doubt if all of a sudden Okada has that title in his hand. He's holding that in the trophy up in the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom again. Also, because it's, it's, it's themed fun. with his with his apparent idol, you know, Antonio Inoki. So, yeah, they are pushing him as the new Inoki, which is kind of weird. Like uh, they're drawing conclusions of like he's the one that's going to carry us. And that that to me is very weird because it's Tanahashi for so long. Yeah, um, he was the ace. And now I guess Okada is really becoming that in their heads. But I mean, I mean, Okada has been the ace for a while, but Tanahashi's thought he didn't die or anything. He's still there. No, Tanahashi held it down <laughs> with Shibata and, and Nakamura for a while. And then when one left to go to WWE and the other one stayed there, it was Tanahashi that held on to that company until Okada got built. So he is John Cena, where I guess Okada would be Roman Reigns in that comparison, you know? Right. I mean, I, but uh, Enoki in itself is very, like, business-wise, is very different than just a perfect, like, Okada is nothing like Enoki, either wrestling or business-wise. As a person. Well, you know, it's it's hard to compare to the past. It's like trying to compare Roman Reigns to Hulk Hogan. Like, how do you do that? You know, in the 80s, Hulk Hogan was, like, the biggest fucking thing. I don't know. And I love Roman, but there will be not like that level of popularity since his cousin, probably for a certain uh, individual wrestler. I mean, you, you you could compare Roman to the past, like to the past with Hogan, because he's a babyface that turned heel and then started a heel faction. Granted, it's his family, right? But well, is, yeah, but like who's bigger in people's eyes between the two of them? If you say Hulk Hogan, they're going to be like. Yeah, I know that guy. Blah blah blah. blah. If you say Roman Reigns, if they don't watch wrestling, they might be like, I don't know who the fuck that is. Yeah, but that's one of those things we we've talked about before. Is like the wrestling community is a lot smaller. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, it's it's not a lot smaller. It's a lot more niche. I think that's a better way to put it because I feel like there's still the same amount of wrestling fans, but they just watch the shit they like. You know, <laughs> like they're like, if I like AWA, I can go pull this up on the peacock and just watch that that's a really good point that's absolutely a good point let's try to like i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of fly through smackdown because we talked about a lot of the highlights already uh kofi and xavier came out they talked about the amount of days that they had the tag team titles i think that was basically trying to let us know how much because the Usos and if they you know exceed it, I think they have like a two mo- more months they'll exceed their record. But uh, Kofi went against Sami Zayn. Uh, you know Jay got a talking to, and they made sure that Sami Zayn beat Kofi Kingston. And I'll let you comment on all these, Chris. But give me a second. Braun Strowman beat two jobbers. Omos and MVP came through the audience. They had a stare down. Omos from the audience, Braun in the ring. So they're setting that up. And LA Knight beat the living shit out of Mansoor. And uh, also, <laughs> while he was built, beating the shit out of Mansoor, he took out uh, Mansoir, who was outside. And then afterwards, the crowd was fucking cheering for this guy. And I don't know if I think that Triple H's idea 
to switch to LA Knight heel was a smart idea because they were really getting down, and then he started cutting all of them down and basically saying that he doesn't need their asses and that he's LA Knight and got booed. Uh, but we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, I don't know what the crowd did there with the LA Knight stuff because he basically cut down like kind of a bullshit faction. So wouldn't you be behind that? <laughs> like, no. Well, we... he basically he so told they... he literally told the crowd though that he doesn't need them. Yeah. Well. Okay. You know, but I, I loved how Wade Barrett, he said, what a physique on this man. Why would he be covered up by a suit for so long? And um, really <laughs> hard hitting question from Wade Barrett. <laughs> the guy with a big physique wearing one of the tightest European suits of all time. Uh, asking the hard hitting questions out here. Um, so we got a heel L.A. night going yeah. forward, I guess. Uh, I like L.A. They got to change the name. I hate the name L.A. Knight. It's terrible. Well, what the hell was he before? You know, at least he's not Max Dupree. (laughs) (laughs) Was he an impact? Go with that. (laughs) Impact's like, we give you stuff. Eli Drake, man. They always have to fucking gimmick something to make, like, so they own it. Eli Drake is a way better name than L.A. Knight. (laughs) Knight. He's not... This guy is supposed to be from California. I know Californians. He wouldn't be L.A. Knight. He's like from Ohio or some shit. Like it doesn't. Yeah, and he's a dick. He's not like a super hippie fucking. Yeah, whatever. So like if, if they name if they name Surfer Sting L.A. Knight, I'd be like, all right, I get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy is it's not fitting at all. What was the uh the first the first thing you uh the um the Usos right? Sammy against uh, Kofi Kingston and Jay and Jimmy definitely made sure that Sammy won that match. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Good. I mean, we talked a lot about them already. I love it. It's pretty good. All right. Next, we had Shotzi, Raquel Gonzalez, and Roxanne Perez. Roxy, the first official Ring of Honor World Women's Champion, uh, already getting to the main roster, basically, with Shotzi and Raquel. They went against Damage Control. They lost, but it was actually a really good match. Lots of good stuff back and forth. And we had all three women uh, riding the tank to the ring. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, Tink's, I'm glad Tink's back. Shotzi's great. Uh, I still I have no, uh, no love for these title belts or this affiliation. It's kind of just random. It's just random matches. But I am happy that Shotzi's back. Yep, uh, so uh, Legado del Fantasma uh, had a match against Hit Row the week previously. When they debuted, they came out and just beat the shit out of them before a match. And uh, they ended up winning because of Selena getting involved and helping out. Um, and we already talked about the Rey Mysterio, him telling Triple H he wanted to retire, and Triple H offering him to come to SmackDown instead. So, And then saying he'd be a part of the four-way match to find out the number one contender for the Intercontinental title later on. But, um, yeah, you know, I guess we're going to we're gonna get some interaction, I guess, from Selena Vega and B-Fab, since they keep on attacking each other. And this exchange will, will continue going forward with Lake Owl, Del Fantasma, and Hit Row, which, if you don't have anything for any of them, you know, good, uh, good little feud's not bad. But Selena Vega... Fig- 
like Zelina is going to have to have a match against B-Fab, though. Is that what this is building towards? Yeah. She's going to have to fucking get her through a good match because I've never seen it. <laughs> it's like I've seen B-Fab wrestle in NXT 2.0. It was not great. <laughs> um, man. Okay. <laughs> we'll roll through that one. The Rey Mysterio stuff. We, we talked about it earlier. Um, what do you want from Rey Mysterio at this point in his career? Well, I mean, we'll get into it. I think we need to talk about the next match because it kind of correlates with it. Because originally this was supposed to be where, um, um, whatchamacallit, oh man, Karrion Cross was supposed to be the fourth guy in this four-way, but he was taken out from that interaction with Drew McIntyre. So, Ray got put in that place for coming over to SmackDown. We have Ray Mysterio, Ricochet, Sheamus, and Solo Sokoa, the winner of this far away, uh, the first pin, not an elimination style, um, would be going against Gunther for the IC belt. And this was a fun fucking four-way match. It was good because you had two high flyers and two brawlers, so you could switch off. You could have the high flyer going against the brawler, but then inevitably, it Sol Sokoa and Sheamus kind of took themselves out of the match by brawling on the outside. You had uh, the Usos come out to help out their brother, and then the brawling brutes come out, and all of them were just beating the shit out of each other everywhere. And Ricochet and Ray, throughout the matches, were peppering in basically interactions they've had beforehand in Lucha Underground, just awesome spots back and forth. Ray looks incredible. He is going back and forth with Ricochet who is obviously way younger and looking flawless still. Uh, we had a 619 attempt. Uh, Ricochet got a better of him. And then, you know, he was about to do something, and Ray hit him, and he fell perfectly right into another 619. Ray Mysterio against Gunther for the IC belt. And honestly, I could have been okay with anyone, but it just is so random. I'm down for this match. So, I don't know. It's going to be a great match. I would expect Gunther to win. Yep. And uh, what I what I would do going out of this is do the Sheamus uh, Cesaro build where you have like like make fully set up for the uh, best out of five with Cesaro and Sheamus, but do that with uh, Rey Mysterio and Ricochet. Oh yeah, and then I would be down for Sheamus and Solo Sokoa having a series of matches. Well, well, no, but like, like build it, right? Like the, the yeah. five, and then like the third match in, Ricochet is like, I'm gonna don the mask, and he puts his lucha mask back on for the first time, and and that's how you you build Ricochet, right? Like at this point, you're just using Ray to build other people. So, and even though Ricochet lost in this match, I think the way great. that Triple H has been treating him and having him win a majority, but being a number one contender for shit like this has built him even though he lost this match and and he's he's also got some wins on nxt so it's not like he's just constantly losing on tv no and he lost to who his fucking idol ray mysterio right i'm so. sure he was uh, like if ray mysterio wanted to get a w on me in the park in the parking lot i would take a pin right <laughs> no shit <laughs> um, well but but yeah like wouldn't you would wouldn't that be great though if they do like a, a best out of five Ricochet and, and Rey Mysterio, they do best out of five. And then Ricochet puts the mask back on. He's Prince Boom again. 
and then they're a tag team. That would be awesome. Holy shit. Yeah. Especially, and then you have him, you know, helping out Ray or something when, if you want to reintroduce the Judgment Day going after Ray with Dominic, maybe moving to SmackDown or something like that. There's a lot of stuff you can do. But Ricochet, I don't know. I, I think that Triple H is trying to elevate everyone. And I think he's doing actually a damn good job for the most part because there's a lot of moving parts, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's got, he's got a lot going on, man. Like, I can't imagine <laughs> Triple H's job. Hopefully he doesn't have another heart attack. Oh, uh, shit, man. Ugh. The amount of stress of walking into uh, kind of a to me, a fucked up company, right? Uh, outside of the bloodline, which was working great because Paul Heyman just had that shit. Like, this is mine, Vince. Leave me alone. Outside of that, there was no storylines. There was no focus on any of the other titles outside the heavyweight picture. Like, or um, any of the wrestlers outside of the ones that Vince was comfortable comfortable with. Right, yeah, like that has to be really weird to walk into. You're like, all right, all right, guys. Sean, get your ass over here. I need your help. Um, but Talk uh, AJ, see who AJ wants to wrestle. <laughs> exactly. Well, we already talked about the Bray Wyatt thing, but I have a couple of quotes because um, what should we call it? Uh, the website I'm at, Bleacher Report. They're great. So, you know, it, it's just nice seeing Bray Wyatt kind of vulnerable, but I'm incredibly grateful and nervous because I never thought this would happen. This is just me being me, the genuine me for the first time. I lost my career. I lost my confidence. I lost two people who are very, very close to me. I lost my way. And he just let everyone know you saved my life. So it was uh, it was nice. Like I said, it's kind of weird seeing such a human promo. And we'll see what the hell happens. Like I said, he was cut off by his evil self, I guess. But um, as far as Bray's promo coming back, you know, it was kind of like, this is going to sound crazy, kind of like Cody's. You know, just being able to really get get you in like a thank you for being my, you know, fans and helping me through my shit. You guys don't just, I don't just help you from what you've told me. I feel great about that. but. You guys have helped me. Like, it was uh, very personable, and I don't think we're going to see that version of him uh, much more. Did we Did we need all the, like, lead up to this, though? Like, because I'm talking about it constantly. Like, he, we're going to have Bray Wyatt come out. It's like, no, well, not even that. Just who ended the world you did or whatever, like the whole White Rabbit stuff. It's, and then it comes it out. It depends, man. It depends because. Baby face promo. Like, but then gets cut off by his evil self. So we got to find out what the hell that incorporates exactly, because yeah. I know that you and a lot of people weren't the biggest fan of those things, but a lot of people did them. So it worked for a lot of other people, you know, with all the like the weird rabbit hole shit. I, yeah, I, I get it. I get I get the appeal to it. Um, but if the end match is like a video match of Bray versus Bray. <laughs> Don't don't even oh my god please. <laughs> no. If they're gonna do that, no, no. 
Or uh, at least get like get Kevin Owens to put the fiend mask on and Daniel Bray. They're about the same size. You could maybe do that. <laughs> yeah, something like that, I guess. I feel like, I feel like KO would be like, "Yeah, I was fucking Bray. What it? What about it?" <laughs> like, because I'm trying to think of like someone that's a similar size of Bray to wrestle Bray if they're gonna run with this. That's that's the big thing. He has to eventually fight himself, right? Isn't that? I hope they're not doing anything like that. Maybe Bo Dallas and Bray will end up interacting, and he can, I don't know, provide some type of character. Um, so, like, if his dark side of himself sends the fiend after him, and that's Bo Dallas, I guess. I don't know, man. I, that, that's getting complicated, and you're right. I, I don't want to go in that type of direction at all. But we'll see. We're just going to have to believe in Triple H, I guess. Exactly. We're going to have to believe in it. All right, let's go through Rampage rather quickly, just because there were some big highlights and stuff that we can just kind of pass through. Blackpool Combat Club, John Moxley and Claudio Casanoli beat the Butcher and the Blade. They cut a promo, and they basically said, Blackpool Combat Club will destroy you or some shit like that. Nyla Rose uh, beat Ada Jape. Not too quickly, but a decent uh, match. And uh, afterwards, Jay Cargill and her girls came out. And because there was a confrontation with the security guards that Nyla Rose and Vicky have gotten, uh, they were able to dip out before Jay could get to Nyla because she stole her belt. So that was uh, really good. And then uh, Ethan Page defeated uh, Isaiah Cassidy pretty handily. And now because of that, Matt Hardy and Private Party are now part of their faction, or at least in control from Stokely Hathaway. So that's interesting. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier uh, with, like, so Andrade sold Private Party again to Stokely Hathaway. Well, Andrade's not there anymore. <laughs> I don't even know. Because <laughs> we would see, uh, what's his name, come out later. And now Roosh is the one that's with them instead of Andrade when they were trying to approach 10, which Andrade was. But I, I felt bad for Roosh because he's been getting a good push, and he's like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> why, why should I be fucking? <laughs> <laughs> the fuck is this bullshit? I just came over here to wrestle. <laughs> um, what are we going to do with my brother's math storyline? They're like, well, <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, what happened to that? <laughs> well, we didn't get it on TV, so it doesn't exist. <laughs> He's like, great. <laughs> so what about me and Andrade? They're like... Conan's like, oh, no, 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 no. You guys are going to do that in AAA. <laughs> like, you have to feel bad for Roosh in this situation. He comes in, he has a like, bunch of good matches and shit. <laughs> They're like, yeah, uh, all of the all of the book plans we had for you mm, got done for you. Do you feel like he's calling Miro on the phone? Well, <laughs> hey, all right. So I gotta, <laughs> I have to say to, you know, I've I've been really criticizing, like, where the fuck did this person go? Where did that person go? Where did that person go? So to come to find out, Miro has been absent because he's been filming some TV show that I think his wife is in or a movie or something like that. Samoa Joe has been filming as Sweet Tooth in the new um, uh, uh, Twisted Metal show. 
Yeah, we've known about that for a while. This is it's twisted metal, right? Like based off the. And he just got done filming it, I think, um, like a couple what weeks ago. Is his voice for is he doing the body of Sweet Tooth or is he doing the voice? Because what does Samojo sound like as Sweet Tooth? No, uh, Will Arnett is doing the voice. He's just the physical oh, performance. God. Okay, so Will Arnett's gonna fuck this up for everybody. And make Probably. Separate, but why would you not just get the voice actor that did the voice of Sweet Tooth in the games? Like Twisted Metal Black, for instance. I don't know. I have no idea, but we'll find out how that is. Um, I hate stuff like that. Just like get the voice actor that played it. You're You're obviously gearing it towards people that played the video games to begin with. Like, just get the fucking, like, it's like the Metal Gear Solid thing, right? Like, if you're going to do an animated version of Metal Gear Solid, like, maybe just get, like, Hater, surprisingly. Just get the fucking guy to be like, it's just a box. Or, like, Ugh. Yeah, I never know. Like, I love Kiefer Sutherland, but I don't know why they switched his voice for the video games. It's uh, because they moved to 4K with the video quality of the game. And they used his actual... They used his face and stuff, so the I, like, there was method behind the mi- madness, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, but and he all he did do a good job in in Metal Gear Solid Five, um, but it's just one of those things like, we I've been playing this game since '96, y'all, <laughs> same voice. Yeah. Uh, now you want to change it up, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. All right, so let's let's keep on going. We had uh, Jericho and uh, his Appreciation Society come out. This is all for Jericho to gloat about his win against Brian Danielson and for Daniel Garcia to officially say that he is not a professional wrestler. He's a sports entertainer. So it was fine. You know, it was a response to what happened, but uh, nothing to write home about. I'll say that. Just like Rampage always is, guys. I'm sorry. Rampage is terrible. It's like the uh, Saturday night main event of WCW. It's it's like a it's became a bad show. Yeah, probably the best thing on the card though was the Pinnacle FTR and Sean Spears going against Brian Cage and the Gates of Agony. Oh my God! So they do the thing beforehand. I gotta I kind of laughed about Sean Spears because Brian Cage is trying to cut a promo and Sean Spears cuts him off and he goes, Brian Cage, you charisma vacuum. Just stop. And they just kind of, you know, go off. But this match was great because, dude, I can't find his name on this, but the one guy in Gates of Agony that reminds me of – so basically they kind of remind me of the Face of Fear. The one athletic dude reminds me of Barbarian. The other one reminds me of fucking Ming because, like – so that whole interview concept right at the end, he's like, and like, even Mark Henry had his, his eyes bulging out of his head. Like what the fuck is wrong with this guy? But like throughout this match, he's going from one post to the other. He's fucking just, you know, so pissed. He's, you know, coming in destroying people by himself while a majority of the time he's not in the ring. And when he hits the ring at the end of it, he's a monster, but it's FTR and Sean Spears. Uh, Sean Spears would win with Death Valley Driver. I don't care what you decide to call it, uh, C4 or whatever. But um, he would get the win over Khan. And, uh, yeah, that was a, it was a good match. 
fun. Prince, there was a cool spot. They're in Canada. So Prince Nana is on the apron, and FDR gets uh, one of the members of Gates of Agony and Brian Cage into sharpshooters. Uh, people are going fucking buck wild about this. Sean Spears takes Prince Nana, throws him over, and then puts him also. It was very old school. Like, it's FTR, so what do you expect? But it was very, like, old school, I don't know, like, uh, just 80s wrestling. And it was a lot of fun. And like I said, FTR and Sean Spears wins. And they're still considering themselves the pinnacle, I guess. And, uh, yeah, you know, you're not really doing anything with FTR, but I guess you're doing something with FTR. So with, with Prince Nana, is he like he's that guy where they're like, you know, you just gotta shoot your shot. <laughs> Dude, like I said, he's he's got such a classic heel manager thing about him. Like kind of random, like a Mr. Fuji, slick, the wizard, or the yeah, the wizard. Like there was a lot of kind of random like heel managers back in the eighties and shit like that. He's got I don't know, he's he definitely and he know he's good. He's really good. He's good at distracting. He's good at being the one that gets his ass kicked. So I, I, I'm impressed by him, honestly. And the face of fear. I mean, the gates of agony. Whatever. <laughs> the faces of fear. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're a very bad version of the faces of fear, if that's what we're going off of. But uh, it's effective, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a fun match. They I lost. Yeah, they shouldn't have lost here if you're trying to build. Like, what is the storyline? What are we trying to build here? What is FTR doing other than working in Japan? I don't know. They'll they'll go to Mexico soon to work for Conan, but... (laughs) Once again, what are they doing? Yeah, it's it's so weird because this them coming off of working in New Japan and cutting a promo to a Japanese audience saying, like, well, since we're not doing anything with Tony, you know... We'll just, We're happy to be in front of you guys defending these titles, but I, I I don't think that's bullshit. I think that they're kind of aggravated by like, you know, they like like we say the rankings now don't matter because Tony finally said they don't. But uh, when that was going on all summer and forever beforehand, FTR was number one contenders for months, and nothing happened. Yeah, and they start showing them again in the women's division, so I I feel like they don't even understand their own like i don't know if you noticed that <laughs> yeah Nyla rose she's won like 75 matches in the past three months like i don't think that's correct but <laughs> oh i gotta give props to nyla man she is awesome that, she her, has the, really become into her own yeah, that promo was fucking great, by the way. Uh, so this is, yeah, I was just like, but they give you the number of wins and losses. And you're just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, apparently, do you want to hear the quote? Because Tony said he's going to reevaluate it. I have it right here. All right. I haven't updated the rankings lately because this is another one that he did, like an interview he did recently with comicbook.com. I haven't updated the rankings lately because I think so much has been fluid coming out of the Grand Slam tournament of champions in particular. It's a fluid situation coming out of Grand Slam, and I think now I'm reevaluating it and quite possibly could bring them back soon, but certainly made a lot of changes for the better that led to our best ranking 
of the year in many ways because we really zoned in and have had, I think, a lot of our best shows in recent months. So once again, deflecting the fucking question, saying some gibberish, and saying we're going to promote whatever, our next show's coming up because we're doing the best. <sighs> whatever. I, fucking... I can't. So no ratings, I guess, until he reevaluates them. What are you gonna do? All of a sudden, put FTR like down, like oh well, that they like I don't, whatever. It's stupid don't, to bitch about. Yeah, no, it's one of those things. Don't piss on our like until it's just raining though, right? Like I've said this multiple times on the podcast. If you are gonna say it's it, it's gonna stupid. be very sports like. Fucking do that. Don't deflect it now. Well, it started off very sports-like, and then he's like, oh, it turns out doing wrestling booking is hard. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes maybe that person is not going to be available. It's just kind of dumb. Like, and and they don't even like set up matches like, well, it's the third person or the fourth person down the list. Like, if the idea is you're going to be doing this, then, you know, you would be open with trades with WWE, like, right? Like, you'd be talking about, like, we're trading for this person. Even if you already have them on a contract, you should be talking about it. Or, like, it, it goes back to even the WWE draft situation. Like, if you're going to treat it like a sport, treat it like a sport. Because everyone knows how sports works. No shit. <laughs> this is not a situation where like a lot of fans that watch your product also watch sports, right? Yep. <laughs> so they understand like, especially with UFC, cause there's a massive crossover or boxing, massive crossover between wrestling and boxing. I know that people don't want to say it or talk about it. And maybe they, uh, you know, their dicks too small to actually say I like wrestling or something because UFC fans are a little weird, but <laughs> um, there is a crossover with that. Like, so if you're going to introduce a ranking system, you can't abandon it. You can't just decide it doesn't exist anymore. No one's going to accept that. Either wrestling fans or even casual fans, like people are going to be like, what, "What the fuck do you mean?" <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you, man. Uh, one last thing I want to go over real quick involving our friends at Impact Wrestling is a pretty big deal because on this last episode, Frank Kazarian, who just won, I don't remember how many, you know, he's had in the past, but several time X Division champion, cashes in the X Division championship. So they're going to put that back on grabs uh, for whoever and will now be going against Josh Alexander. For a title he's never gotten before in the past, the Impact World Championship. So we got Frank Kazarian against Josh Alexander at the next pay-per-view for the title. Chris, could Frankie be the one that gets through Josh Alexander and gets that title? Well, is at, at some point, is Josh Alexander just a legend killer? <laughs> Pretty much. He's got Bully Ray next, and it looks like this guy's going to be right after that. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, this is a good question to ask you because you watched a good chunk of that time period. Uh, Bully Ray cut a great babyface promo, told Josh he respects him and everything. Is this all bullshit? And is Bully Ray going to go right back to his ways immediately? Yes. 
Yes, 100%. He is going to point at his calves and be a complete dick. He's from ECW. You can't trust him. <laughs> so who's a bigger threat towards the title between Bully Ray and Frankie Kazarian? Well, I thought it was Alex Shelley. If you're going to put it on one guy that's deserving, I, I thought it would be Alex Shelley. Not that Kazarian's not deserving, but I, I thought if you're going to do a title switch to put it on the legend, I thought it would be Alex Shelley, honestly. But, um, yeah, Bully Ray being a heel with the title on his waist, not the worst idea. You get Josh Alex Alexander the chase again, so that's not bad, but... uh. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I don't know. Where's Moose? What's Moose doing? <laughs> Moose is waiting for his cro- contract to be done this year so he can go somewhere else, I think. Yeah. like um, It's it's one of those where like they're just running legends through. That's why I was saying, is he doing a legend killer gimmick? Like he's being all of the <laughs> impact guys. I don't know. Yeah, he beat Eddie Edwards. He beat yeah, he's he's doing a lot of the uh, past champs basically. Yeah, and unlike you know the people that have stuck around for Impact, bless you by the way, because I left. Um, bless you. <laughs> bless you guys that have stuck around this long. As the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes, yes, dude. Yeah, yeah, dude. And the whole gimmick, right? Like the the cross across my face, but um. There's a lot of good impact. There's a lot of bad TNA, and I don't know. I, I thought when they gave Alex Shelley a shot at it, and, and granted, I am openly on the show, Motor City Machine Guns, Mark. Um, I thought, okay, they're going to do something with this, right? Like, they're either going to put the title on him, or they're doing a legend killer thing, and now they're bringing back Bully Ray, and, like, they have to bring back so many people until they someone beats him, right? So who is the guy? Bully Ray would make the most sense because he's going to cheat. <laughs> yeah, and then and then Cavs can have a a few with Bully Ray being a super baby face if they wanted to do that. But if he beats Bully Ray and then he beats Frankie Kazarian, I mean, who else do you fucking have that can really beat Josh Alexander at that point? You've gone through your whole roster pretty much and all these legends. Well, I mean – I know a lot of people don't lot watch Impact, but to, to, to like, where do you even go from the storyline of Josh Alexander almost getting Moose off a ledge and Moose like showing up at his house and be like, "Tell your dad I said hey," and rubbing on his head and shit. Like, where do you go from that? I guess bringing Moose back in the picture would be a good idea to do eventually. Uh, the only other person I could think of is you need a good heel. He's not. He's been trying to pivot from the X Division, and you could do uh, Ace Austin as the guy that takes that title off of Josh Alexander. He's got a huge fucking diesel-like guy that can help him out, you know, for his uh, bodyguard. Yeah, but I'm absolutely done putting Ace Austin over on Impact because they shit on us every fucking time. Yeah, it's it's almost like we're giving him bad luck at this point. <laughs> yeah, like at some point we just have to stop talking about him because. Like, that's a good guy to put the title on. They're like, nah, Speedball. I'm like, Speedball's good, but like, you know, Ace Austin, they're, nah, Speedball. I'm like, okay, cool. You guys do you. And call yep. Lance Storm and be like, listen here, you Canadian fucker. If you guys don't start doing something with Ace Austin, I swear to God. But, uh, but I mean, 
he's he's having good matches, so there's there's that, I guess. But we'll find out, man. Uh, I really like Josh. To me, he's primed to go to. I mean, I hate that Impact seems like the place where wrestlers are basically building themselves to go to either WWE and AEW, but he, him and Moose are definitely the two biggest guys from there. They're kind of like Hammerstone and Fatu over at MLW, you know? Right, and they're all signed, signed under big deals. Like the Josh Alexander signed, he re-signed for three years, remember? Because he had that veto. In That's Canada. right. That's so right. He's stuck there regardless. Um, unless WWE buys out the contract. I would assume so because even Brandy mentioned his name in the promo in AEW of like people Cody wants to work with. He was like one of the names with the jock. You remember that? Oh yeah, and I'm sure Kurt Angle knows about him. I'm sure Triple H knows about him. Um, it's it's possible they could buy out the contract, but if you're but and that's a, that's a great thing about Josh. If AEW gets him, you have a future great singles guy. But you could easily put him back with Ethan Page because they were on the, one of the best tag teams, you know, in the last like five years, too, uh, with the North. So they seem like the best place for him. But I would rather, honestly, he go to WWE. And if you're Josh Alexander, though, it's it's the Okada quote, right? Like, I'd rather be a fishing, be a, yeah, a shark in a small pond, turn this motherfucker into an ocean. Essentially, like he's not gaining anything. I mean, money he would be gaining, I would guess, but but he is the biggest. He is the shark in a small pond <laughs> to some extent. Yeah, but uh, hey man, I checked out of that Impact pay per view. It was really good, and uh, I really I, good matches. I watched the Masha Slamovich match against Jordan Grace. It was great. I haven't seen the rest of it. That's the only one. That's the one you see. Like, check that out. So I checked it well, out. Good. People, people said, and I think they were right. Uh, that match and the last match, the one with Eddie Edwards and Josh Alexander. I mean, no, they had good matches the whole entire night. I mean, the one with Mike Bailey and fucking uh, Kaz was great too. But those two matches in particular were fucking awesome. Um, especially the best match was Grayson Slamovich for sure. Yeah. And, th- and they're both friends. So they, they kind of did the, uh, the Walter experience we saw in the UK back in the day. I was like, we're friends. Let's be each other to death. <laughs> so let's just try Let's try to kill each other right now. <laughs> yep. All right, Dane, look, if we ever have a wrestling match, can you pretty please go like HBK soft on me? <laughs> I'll yeah. pretend like you're beating me to death, but please don't beat me to death. <laughs> I promise I will not stiff you at all throughout the match, Chris. <laughs> yeah, let's have like a very, very, very light match. <laughs> so I had an idea for next week. Before we get out of here, um, this kind of came into my mind. Uh, why don't we do a top five, me and you? It's not too hard since it, it is spooky season. Our top, and I and I'm pretty sure that both of us will have Undertaker at number one, but our top five favorite, you know, spooky characters, if you will, or uh, horror themed characters. I have, I have seven at, at number one already on this because that's the creepiest motherfucker ever. <laughs> well, all right, so maybe we should change the concept of creepy because <laughs> uh, that was creepy in a very very weird way, Chris. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> 
Don't blame me. Blame Goldust and WCW and Vince Russo. I'm just blaming Vince Russo and fucking Eric Bischoff <laughs> on that one. I ain't blaming Dustin on that shit because he went off. Uh, but uh, yeah, our, our our top five uh, horror themed characters will be next week. We'll, we'll try to figure out whatever the fuck that is. Do do we include people that are outside of the United States? Absolutely. Like like a Muda, for instance. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. I mean, that's that. That's the thing. It's like, well, both of us. I, I think the biggest question will who will be number one, Muda or Taker? It's it's Taker, <laughs> but <laughs> it has to be Taker. He's the I guess we, we we could probably easily do a top ten, couldn't we? Easily, yeah. Of of all time, like just supernatural characters. Like even Raven, to some extent, became supernatural. So yeah, we could. Or do or uh, Mick Foley, or as uh, Mankind. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just say top 10 spooky wrestling characters. We'll go with that. So it's not supernatural. All right. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Horror themed, you know, spooky style for next week. But we had a great, I think, conversation show for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Talked about a lot of wrestling. Gave you guys over four hours of content. So. You guys are great. Thank you so much for listening to us. New listeners, we do a show usually every Saturday we record it, and then we have it out by Sunday or Monday. Um, so listen every single time, and like, subscribe, do all that stuff. We are on all downloadable platforms, Stitcher, you know, um, iTunes, all the major ones, SoundCloud, Spotify, just search on Google Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Find your download, downloadable platform that works best for you. And definitely check us out next week. For all of our older listeners, thank you guys for listening to us. We really appreciate you. You keep the roof on Wrestling Geeks Alliance in a virtual sense. Chris, say goodbye to all lovely people. Do whatever plugs you would like to do. Goodbye, all the lovely people. The hockey season starting back up. So if you like hockey, hockey and all of hockey podcasting skates the throats check it out it's on geek vibes all the same platforms that dane mentioned should be easy to find it's a tops baseball card with a hockey person on the front of it so it should be very easy to find um if you want to talk to me on twitter at chris r Patton, on instagram or facebook christopher dot r dot Patton, and that Patton is p-a-t-t-o-n like the general Patton, not like p-a-t-t-e-n um for Madden out there. Got to yell at him. Exactly. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. Y'all have a wonderful time, whatever time you are listening to Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And happy Halloween season. You guys have a good one. Let the wrestling vibes be with you. And as always, peace the fuck out.